We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast, end of season review, 2017-2018. I've got myself, Alex Hurst, I've got Adam Widrick, and I've got Ben Wade, and I've got Norman Riley to talk to you people for a good hour at least about Newcastle United's season that has just gone. Um, the end of the season's arrived. I can't remember a season with a bigger variety of emotions and more up and down season. We've had despair, we've had hope, we've had elation, we've had joy, we've had more despair. And then ultimately, I think we've ended up with a lot of pride in this team and this season and the way it's turned out. Um, there's been all sorts of ups and downs that we're going to go into. We're going to talk about how and why things happened the way they did. We've got some end of season awards to go through. And we've got just basically loads to talk about in terms of how we've reached this point, And also, quite importantly, what's going to happen in the future from this point moving onwards. Um, it's been a really good season for many, many reasons. Obviously, we've had um, not just Newcastle United. We've had Alan Pardew being well and truly found out. Even Sam Allardyce, to an extent, well and truly found out. Newcastle fans validated uh, in more ways than one. And probably a personal highlight. And I know people, some people don't like me talking about it. But I will definitely miss presuming that they don't get relegated again. Like just someone at a, at a game, home or away, some point in the game, at some point in the car, he was always here, someone's getting beat. And then someone else going, they could calm down, you know. And then someone else going, they could, they could you know, look at their fixtures. It's just, it was just a really welcome addition to the season. That kind of stable Sunderland defeat every week was beautiful. But enough about them. More on to the top 10 side in the Premier League, which is Newcastle United. We've got a lot to go through. Um, Fans, thank you very much. Or listeners, as I say, you voted for your player in Game of the Season, which we're going to go into. We've got absolutely loads of listener questions as well to get through. But very quickly, the fans have voted... Fans. Listeners have voted their um, Game of the Season. Yeah. (laughs) Resounding 61% for Man United at home as Game of the Season. We're going to go into that. And the listeners, even more resoundingly, um, 66% for Jamal Lascelles as a player of the season. So we, us four, we've all got different player of the seasons and games of the seasons. Fancy that. What are the odds? Uh, which we're going to go through. Um, <laughs> no, this is uh, all genuine, all from the heart. But <coughs> we're going to start off, or I'm going to start off, by talking about what Rafa did to transform, transform us from a relegation threatened side into the top 10 side that we've become. Uh, it's quite a, an open question, this one, lads, or open topic, so feel free to jump in. But what I did for this is I listened back to quite a lot of our podcasts over the past 24 hours, which obviously was a uh, quite an eye-opener in terms of some of the opinions we put forward over the season. Um, obviously, the podcasts and the mood of them very much you know, measured the way that the season went. One of the biggest 
issues that were sorted out, and I felt the biggest issue was the central midfield partnership of Mo Diame and John Joe Shelby. Now, lads, do you know the game that was first tried out? When did Rafa first go for Shelby and Diame, and how did it go? If you don't know, it's okay, but I'm going to have to guess as... Um, let me let me think. What is it? was it after the Stoke game, perhaps? Stoke away. Stoke away. No one yeah. No. Okay. I'm just thinking because Diarmi got booed off Everton home. Number ten though, playing ten. Wasn't Man U, was it? Right. It was not Man United. Nope. Should I just tell you? Yeah, just answer. Okay. Um, it was actually Burnley away. And I listened back to the podcast, and we and me were highly critical of the Shelby and Perez uh, Diame partnership. Next game, he tried it in a couple of games' time. Another disaster. Watford, spot on. <sighs> what? What? Watford at home. Um, <laughs> that was so an awful game. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, isn't it? Though how it's this this absolute machine, this well-oiled machine we've got in midfield. We've got Shelby in England and. We've got Diarmé being the best player ever to play for Newcastle United, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. African, African Football of the Year, Mo Diarmé. <laughs> yeah. He's probably into the realms of like Mohamed Ali of like football now, I think. <laughs> like he's up there in the pantheon of like all-time greats, I think. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we've got this, and I, f- I feel like this is the most negative I'm going to be all podcast. I feel like we've got there by accident. And obviously, Rafa tried every single poss- possible combination in centre midfield. And it was the real problem. It was the thing that defined well, our er- early season problems. Well, he didn't try. Well, he, he did try. He, he did it for a half when, in a game we lost against Huddersfield, was it? Or Brighton? The uh, Shelby Marino. He didn't give I think, them a. I think I Everton. I think it started. Did, did, did Everton was Shelby Marino, I believe. Liverpool, Liverpool at home was Shelby Marino. But we tried Diarme and Hayden. We tried Marino and Hayden. We tried Marino and Shelby Marino. It just and nothing was working. And I remember I listened back to the um, Leicester podcast, which was five a.m. my time in Singapore, and a massive run down the phone to Norman and the prob- I believe yourself, Ben, basically saying, "How can Rafa not sort out the most important part of the pitch, which is centre midfield? We're powder puff. We're weak." Teams walk through the middle of the pitch. Bournemouth did it, St. James's. Man United did it away. Leicester did it. Everton did it to an extent. And it was just like so easy. Well, we were so easy to play against. And that was just the opposite of everything we've been under Rafa so far. So for Rafa to get that sorted out once and for all, whether it was by design or whether it was by playing Diarmi and Saivi because he had to at West Ham away, Diarmi getting the goal, which just transformed his season. And it's funny, isn't it? And with... Norman and John said on the Chelsea podcast that once Dwight Gale scored on Sunday, he nearly scored again straight after with a great hit, a brilliant save actually once I've seen it on telly by Courtois. And it's just like that one goal produced a, like a completely different Dwight Gale. And it's like Diarmé got that goal against West Ham. And we're going to talk about the West Ham in detail later because it was such an important part of the season. I just feel like that is the most important thing of the season, sorting out that engine room in that heart of the team obviously you've had Lascelles injuries you've had Kenny coming in you've Dubrak for but I don't believe if we hadn't settled on Shelby and Diarme in the form of them both kind of going hand in hand I think we could have been in for a much tighter scrape with relegation than we were because Hayden and Marino have just fallen off the map completely in the second half of the season and that's probably a good thing and I know it's not a very kind thing to say but the performances were so poor in our poor run and they weren't the only ones that thank God that Diarmi and Shelby have stepped up or could have been in real trouble. I don't know what you lads think. I, no, I, I, I can't disagree. I think um, 
they just seem to complement each other so, so well. You've got sort of Diame, the, the midfield destroyer, and you've got Shelby, the quarterback. And it's almost like Diame's um, tenacity and determination and physicality and ability to break up play just unlocks the very, very best qualities of Shelby. Now, Shelby doesn't thrive when he has to be given defensive um, responsibilities, but when... But but he, he to his credit he, this year certainly he's been getting stuck in and, and in a disciplined fashion. But by by Diarme going around doing the you know the, the, the you know the, the, the yeah the donkey work yeah mucking in it just unlocks Shelby to be able to to do what he does best and concentrate on his greatest attributes, which is his passing range, his vision, um, and his and just his all round ability to. You know, control a game which he which he has. Even if we we don't have the line share possession, he can still control a game even with uh, less possession. I think there's an element as well with um, the the sort of the army, the, the the impact he had in, and you you saw it throughout the sort of the the run of games where we were, we were like the Man U and and um, sort of games that where just he he would do something, he would go and nick a ball off someone where he had no right to win the ball. And you could see the instant impact of the rest of the team, just the lift it gave them. And the likes of Shelby, and you, you sort of mentioned there about how, I mean, we saw games last year where Shelby just, he, he didn't look like he was interested in sort of defending. And But some of the games, I mean, the Man U one strings, springs to mind again, where he literally, like you, you would have said that was like a, a top class defensive mid, sort of some of the tackles Shelby was putting in that game. And that's not Shelby's game at all. But that was off sort of the, the buzz that he got off the arm. I mean, I think it's, it's to an element as well there's probably a bit in Shelby's psyche there where I think up to that point he probably felt like he was carrying a lot of a lot of things in that team in terms of obviously the, the creativity and everything goes through him especially the championship season everything would go through him and he was probably sort of feeling the, the pressure of everything's got to go through him and then all of a sudden this absolute man mountain of a bloke in Diarme comes in and, and, and starts sort of allowing him, taking a bit of the pressure off Shelby in terms of he literally did all the defending, won the ball back, would put Shelby into great positions and it just released sort of Shelby to go up another gear and put everything at the attack and I think, you said it sort of, he kind of stumbled stumbled across it, Rafa, but it was so important because that, that gave us a, um, a foothold into games where we, we could then put our, our, our best players in, in a position where they can go and hurt the other team, whereas you always felt like Shelby, the, the, the further deeper he falls in games the, the less effective he is because his, his great balls are still only getting up to like just past the halfway line whereas when he's up playing much further forward those are penetrating balls going through you, you're putting your striker in one-on-one so that was a massive sort of um sort of benefit that, that he, we, we gained from that and um just as, as you say just it went from strength to strength and and they've, they've both um Gone, gone up another level and, and pushed each other within that as well. But but again with Shelby, with the way Rafa and again the way Rafa's you know what the miracles he's worked with his team down to you know his his meticulous preparation, his research, his finding marginal gains everywhere, playing the fixture list. The way that we play in term, we we didn't have the players to play the possession game. It's not the way he preferred Rafa, but that's what he had. So he had to work with the best of what he had. And with someone like Shelby, if we're going to play on the counter attack, what better, what better person? Instead of someone who just has to drive and dribble the ball forward, and you're left with a gaping hole behind you if you happen to lose possession, he can stay in a relatively cautious, conservative position, yet still pick out and, and gain ground with the pace that we have on the wings, the pace that we have up front with Jose 
and Gale. And he was able to do that while we still remained quite solid and not really committing too far forward for our attacks. And it just put us in really good stead. If only there was a team playing football this summer that matched all those attributes and a team that couldn't defend to save their lives and needed bodies back out there to sort of help out and had loads of pace at the, the top of the pitch. I don't know who that could that be. later, Ben. No one, you know, I'm interested just to get your last take on this as someone who's probably been to more games than anyone else on the podcast this season, home and away. Um, obviously, me and the lads were in Australia for, for a time, so we missed a lot of games and you were at all of those games. Um, it, it wasn't just sentiment midfield. Is that, that you voting Norman as podcaster of the year? We've got a couple of questions actually about podcaster <laughs> of the year and who's getting a contract renewal. Um, if only the listeners knew that there are no contracts. Um, and that's um, basically I, uh, if you want I, on turn up. I, I won't, um, I won't um, discuss any contract renewals unless um, my agent's present. So um, I'm just, John, I think John's, uh, John's in the shower. So he's my agent. He's my agent, by the way. Um, but, but, sorry, sorry, go on, Alex. I'll finish my question here. Yeah. I was going to say that. The West Ham game, obviously, that was Diarmo's reintroduction to centre midfield after the Watford and Burnley debacles when he didn't play well, even though on the Leicester podcast and other podcasts, um, one podcast member was continually calling for his introduction because of experience and physicality, but we'll not say who. Um, I can't take all the credit, Dodds. You'd, you'd <laughs> called him out a couple of times last year. Um, yeah, Norman, that West Ham game was the reintroduction of Gale to the team. Um, how important do you think that was in terms of Perez, Gale, being the two centre forwards or the two forward players, because that the reintroduction of those two seemed to very much coincide with the upturn in form in 2018. So it's not just about the centre midfield. No, it's not. I, I mean, there's a couple of things I'd like to um, to say. The just a couple of words on the Shelby Army thing. I know we've we've milked it a bit, but um, the what 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 I've noticed is is that it's it's the kind of a, it's the psychological aspect of it. It's almost like Diarmi realised. That he's fucking massive and incredibly, incredibly powerful and incredibly athletic. And what he started doing was most of the games that we've seen um, since the turn of the year, within the sort of first 10, 15 minutes, whoever's been playing in centre midfield for the opposition, Diomi has just gone through them. Not in a, not like a, in a kind of malicious way. He's just gone to a tour with them. loving way. And, and, uh, exactly. And what, Suddenly what the TLC, let them know you're their way. Well, and they, well and not, exactly that. And what's happened is a lot of players have just absolutely shitted. They have. I mean, you've seen that. You saw it on, on Sunday. I know the majority of Chelsea team didn't fancy it. But he just brushed Conte off the ball. Um, I don't recall a kind of centre midfield dominating him at all um, since he's, since he's realised just how, you know, how much of a man mountain he actually is. And, and what Shelby's done is... Um, is within the within a period of sort of four months, he's grown up massively. He's just he's changed. He switched from being a you know a tempestuous young lad in his early twenties to being a kind of um, really mature performer in his mid twenties, and that's happened very quickly. And I'm not saying that it's it's something permanent. Obviously, the World Cup was it was a goal from to aim for, um, but they've both just. It's almost like they've both kind of had these like epiphanies in the last four months as to actually who who they are and who the who they want to be. Shelby for the rest of his career because he's probably got another ten years, and Moore's obviously got two or three years left, and um, it's just been brilliant to see. But I'm, I'll move on from that. Um, Gail and Perez. Just say that, sorry, just to put in about Shelby, I really feel that he's benefited from an extra responsibility and like. West Brom at home was a particular example where he was shouting and bawling at everybody else. 
because he didn't feel that everyone was putting in the effort that he was. And that just seems a far cry from the Shelby that could have been at the start of the season, the petulance, as you, as you, as you mentioned. But, it, you know, one of the things that Rafa's done is he's created extra leaders around the squad, mm-hmm. not just Lascelles at the back, but there's now other people that are more vocal, which is helping the whole team to fight. Yeah, absolutely, mate, absolutely. Um, well, we'll move, up, move up on those two. Um, one other important thing, that, uh, and there might be... Um, I might get some criticism for this, but I think um, Yedlin and Dummett being the first choice fullbacks, Dummett coming back has been hugely important. Um, I, I was a, you know, I was a bit of an advocate for Mankiw. I think he got like a hard rap, and I think he did a really good job in difficult trying circumstances. But obviously, um, Yedlin and Dummett are, are better, and they they made a huge difference. Um, but yeah, going on to <clears throat> on to Gail and Perez um, again, I can't really. I can't really say it's it's like this kind of ability's just come from somewhere with the pair of them. It's it's not it's 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 again it's gone down it's it's on it's the psychological side of things it's the self belief. Um, not necessarily Gail. Gail's had a he's he's seriously lacking self belief in front of goal and Sunday was was fantastic to see. Um, but he's never lost his you know his intelligence as a player. His movements fantastic. He um, he creates space. He gets in main defenders. He's quick. Um, he's got a brilliant understanding understand with Shelby. Um, so there's nothing I can really really say on, on Gale other than he's, he has been, despite the lack of goals, he's been a vital cog in uh, the team that's finished 10th. Um, whereas Perez, Perez is, um, he's still infuriates fans. I, I don't understand it. I think I, I maybe I, I said something about this um, on the review with John. Okay, so he doesn't do everything, every single thing that people want him to do. But you have to look at the... You have to look at you have to look at the stats. He's clearly so unbelievably important to the side that any any kind of mistakes that he might make, anything that doesn't come off, any time he doesn't go into a you know into a fifty fifty ball with with a hundred percent, then you've just got to forgive him for it because what he brings is is absolutely vital. And um, and again, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a player who is who has grown into a position that now looks to me like it's his natural position. And you're also looking at a player who for his first couple of years in Newcastle's was shunted onto the left. He was asked to per- play, sort of plough alone for up um, on his uh, on his own up front. Um, he's just had no kind of no consistency in where he's been played, and, and really to a certain extent, no consistent run on the side. And he's had that. He's had that for the last four months, and we're reaping the benefits of it. He's been absolutely fantastic, and he's obviously a player who clearly listens to Rafa. And um, long may it continue because I think Perez is he's starting to show the. The abilities that we know he's got, he's starting to realise the potential that we all saw when he when he first came to the club and he was kind of thrown at the side unexpectedly by Pardew. Um so I massively important and and uh, just it's, it's, looking forward to seeing him next it, season. It it's amazing to think that only a short time ago um we didn't know who our best number ten was and it was kept swapping between Perez and Diame and also Lou <laughs> and Gail would play ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um we were calling for Richie to get game time. And yeah, loads. Of, I, think I think loads of people had. Yeah, and f- you know neither of them performed in that position. Um, and, and I was, I was, I was a big criticize. I criticized Perez a lot because I thought, yeah, he ran hard and he did everything. But when you're pl- only playing one up front, where you need help, you need to assist with goals, and you need tangible. Um, you know, you know, evidence of you know gold contributions, and he, he he didn't he didn't get that return from him. But like you say, I mean, certainly the last two months, he is as Norman said, he's 
utterly grown into those, that role. He's made it his own, and he, he looks like he's been playing there for five years. I think he's come he's come good at the end, hasn't he? Where I mean, he, I think did he get a double figures by the end? I think yeah, All ten competitions. Yeah, um, which is like if you'd have said for the number ten at the start of the season, we need a ten goals. Like that, that's probably what you expect from a number ten. You'd t- ten goals with a, a 15, 20 goal striker would be a good return. Um, so he's sort of developing at that player. I think as well what goes against him is he plays the hardest position in that team by an absolute country mile because the amount of legwork he's expected to do and I think it was probably one of the things that we used to sort of give a little bit of credit to for Diarmé last season when he was playing the number 10 was that they, they weren't always the most effective in attack but the work the graft they put in defensively for the for the benefit of the team just kept 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 us going and and obviously they're expected to to be the link between the, the, the two midfielders who f- play fairly deep. Obviously, Shelby likes to, to sort of sit sit just in front of the back four so he can get the ball easily and then play his, his long long balls. Um, and then, obviously, Diarme this season and, and Hayden last season would never really particularly venture forward that much. So you've got Perez, who basically has to come deep to get the ball off them two or get sort of win the ball back or, or link in and then go and support Gale and, and, and get on the end of things at the other end. So he has to cover probably the most ground in that team. Um and I just think that there's so much responsibility on that position because he does have to do so much running that he, he probably didn't get a lot of credit that um, that sort of he should have done from the fans in terms in some games in terms of his his effort just got taken for granted. But at, at the same time, obviously, I, I think he he has sort of won a bit of of uh, credit back from a lot of fans. Absolutely, and and the way I saw it was actually before Perez became this kind of goal assist machine that he has has done the second half of the season. I always understood the importance of Perez in the wider system and the ability to, you know, defending from the front, as it were. And um, the way I saw it was that our our 4-2-3-1 our formation, that actually Perez was as good as a defensive midfielder. He was just playing in front of the midfield too because Shelby can play as a deep-lying playmaker uh, from very, you know, very close to his own back four, that our kind of roaming defensive midfielder was almost an advanced... Um, it was a defensive number ten role that, that that Perez played, so he was, like you say, he was doing a lot of sort of unsung work, even if he wasn't getting the goals and assists. But he was still performing such an important part like, of, of the, the cog in this in this machine that only works when everybody's pulling together in the right direction under Rafa's instructions. I think what was sorry, what was just interesting as well was after the first part of the season where he didn't, he, he wasn't particularly con- contributing with goals and things like that, but if you, you could tell Rafa trusted him because you didn't really hear much um, sort of going on in terms of a number 10. Like everybody, all the fans, I think, would have said, what's the most important position we need to strengthen in January? I think most people would have said either... Goalkeeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> De Ravke. No, um, but was I think the consensus was we need a number 10. That's the one we really need. And he, we didn't really have a sniff of any number 10s. And I think that was because Rafa realised what, what he had there. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I didn't even start talking. Um We'll have to crack on because we're 22 minutes in and I still haven't answered this question. I'll come to the last part of my answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Great debate. Um, poor Norman's going to be starving to death soon as well, so we'll, we'll, we'll make haste. Um, <laughs> yes, the final the final part of my answer to what did Rafa do to transform us into a relegation threatened side or top half side in terms of transforming the spine of the team and finding the best players and getting the best out of them is the central back, central defence partnership now that might sound obvious because of the form of Lascelles and Lejeune two things Lascelles started this season out of the team 
He was behind. Can you imagine behind Kieran Clark <laughs> in the pegging order, um, which just seems mental, and it was mental. Probably it's probably the wrong call, but but you know that you can call it the wrong call in hindsight and say maybe it brought Lascelles on as a player and as a captain. Um, Lascelles had a difficult end to the championship season, um, and you know for whatever reason he was taken out of the side, and there was, there was injuries, wasn't there, and the lack of form. Yeah. Mixed in. So and he'd, he'd be, I think he'd be playing with an injury, like you say. So that's one thing that Rafa eventually, you know, kind of realised that the cells were not didn't take much of us because he's been so good. The other thing is that I remember back to Palace away, and the games before Palace, people were kind of saying, "Whatever happened to Florian Lejeune?" It was like he'd been so poor, and he was poor when he came back from injury. He came back into a struggling team. He came back. His partnership with Kieran Clark was an utter disaster. Um, I, lo- I love how though he, it's like whatever happened to him like he had 20 minutes against Spurs and then Harry Kane absolutely fucked him but like but it, was, it, it, never it was, came, yeah. but it's just funny that he, he almost got this cold state it's like wow he's yeah. like the, the next Jonathan Woodgate after 20 minutes of football <laughs> right true still spot on though wasn't it as long as he's playing alongside Lascelles um, however I remember the game uh, against Palace and Kieran Clark picks up an injury for the Man United game the next week and the, the, the consensus was shit Clark's injured because if you're doing all right with Lascelles since they come back in, it was like bollocks. Lejeune's going to have to come back in, not maybe as strong as that, but it's funny how perceptions change of players. And Lejeune had been so desperately poor in the time before his second injury, his back injury, whatever it was. Um, well, you, you, it's funny, you just on that point there, you mate, though, we're sort of laughing off like it's I never Clark lost faith in him being a ridiculous decision, but. Kieran Clark was probably the signing of the season last year and yeah. was probably one of the best players in the championship. So you can see where that, that thought came from. But you're right, like now would be like as if he gets anywhere near this team. The performances of Lejeune and um, Lascelles have been so far superior to anything that Clark... This isn't a have a go Kieran Clark, but you'd like to think we would upgrade on him next season as a backup because he's realistically not given either Lejeune or Lascelles any competition. I, I remember I remember in that, in that Lejeune-Clark partnership... Uh, Lejeune for me got the brunt of the criticism when actually I found Kieran Clark and I was probably one of the few people I'm not just saying I oh, told you so but I really didn't rate Clark as highly as Lejeune even though Lejeune was making mistakes but I was very concerned by the, the positional play of, of Kieran Clark I thought he was all over the place and I thought at least Lejeune had the technique and the distribution and a bit more composure and just a bit more class, I think, um, and it, tra- transitional season, whatever. But I think, for me, I was I was not worried about Clark, the possibility of Clark leaving that team, leaving that team. Yeah. So, so to finish off that first question, twenty six minutes in the podcast. Um, <laughs> basically, this, this the, is back the form of the good old days where we used to just ramble on for like yeah. and two hours or whatever. <laughs> the early days under uh, Alan Pardew of the podcast. This is my fourth season as the podcast coming to an end. We'll be back for a fifth, definitely, of course. Um, but yeah, for Rafa to be able to transform the spine of the side as he did was quite impressive. You know, the fact that you had a solid back two, flanked, as Norman quite rightly says, as two capable fullbacks who don't give much away. Then you've got the midfield two, which we've waxed lyrical about. And then you've got Perez grafting, and you've got Richie on the wing, and you've got Kennedy, which we're going to come on to a little bit with Adam later. And you've got Dubravka and goal. It just, it just turned from a bit of a fluid, don't know your best team kind of club where no one knew who was going to start. You turn up at away games, not who's going to play centre midfield. You wouldn't know who'd be up front. Is Hosselu going to play? Is Gale going to play? Is Gil Hosselu going to play? Is Richie going to play? Is Murphy going to play? And Rafa finally settled 
on his best 11 and you just saw no one get anywhere near any of them for the rest of the season in terms of team selection. Norman, the rest of the league, obviously Newcastle finished 10th. It represents Mike Ashley's third best season as Newcastle owner in 10 seasons. Joint second best league position. How much of that is accurate? You know, Newcastle, are they a top 10 side or was the rest of the league so poor that realistically this isn't a great team we've seen from Newcastle. It's definitely a great team, but it's been very much kind of embellished because of the hard work and affection we feel for them rather than being that good a side. Um, I don't think that there are any massive disparities between us and the sides below us. I think what you've got is... Well, you see what you've got at Newcastle is you've got like a very um, kind of consistent level of player. We don't have anyone who's um, a massive superstar. We don't have anyone who's um, really weak. It's just a very solid side. So if you look at the teams below us, you know, Palace, Bournemouth, West Ham, um, Watford possibly, um, take Brighton, Huddersfield out of that, Southampton. Um, these are sides that have got excellent players, like two or three excellent players that you'd think, you know what, if we were linked with them, brilliant. Um, Palace have probably got more than two or three excellent players. Um, but what they don't have is they don't have the consistency of, of the, the squad that we have. We're kind of like, we're a squad, and but this is what I can see since Christmas, we're a squad of like seven out of tens, you know, seven, eight out of tens. Um, whereas these other teams, you know, someone like Palace, for example, they just constantly needs our heart to pull them out of the shit. That's what they've got. That's what they've more or less needed all season. And when when they when he got injured, they were they were obviously very concerned that they were going to struggle because he's he's head and shoulders above anyone else on that side. Um, West Ham to a certain extent, you could say Lanzini, who's been injured for quite a bit, and Arnautovic, head and shoulders above the rest. And that's that's the that's the difference for me is that. They've got two or three players who are so far beyond the others in the side in terms of ability that it kind of um, it's almost counterproductive. And what Rafa's done is with a minimal outlay that he's had in the squad that he constructed last season, is he's he's just put together a side of of people who are um, remarkably similar in terms of ability. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got they've all got like, different skills. There's no one at the club who can pass like Shelby. That's that's quite obvious. But what I mean is, is that you know Shelby isn't. Um, Head and shoulders above anyone else on that side, I don't think. Um, so th- there's that. And also, th- the biggest factor is the manager and his coaching staff. Um, they're just they're way better than anyone else below them. There's no one, there is no one in any of those sides below us that comes anywhere near Rafa. And you can look at Hodgson's career, but in terms of trophies won, Hodgson hasn't actually been that successful. Um, and... There isn't anyone. There just there just isn't anyone with these, you know, with with these um, managerial abilities, tactical knowledge. I can't imagine there's anyone with the backroom staff as, you know, as good as what Rafa's got. Um, and that's that's a huge difference. I think we we all said that pre season. Um, we we mentioned it on several occasions that the big, you know, the, the the card the card that we have is Rafa Benitez. He's better than anyone else below it, and I would probably say um, above as well. Um, so that that's it for me. It's a relatively easy question to answer. Do you think that there was a real failure from a lot of teams to, to to challenge in the second half of the season, probably at the bottom half of the league? I mean, Southampton and Huddersfield didn't really even give her a game. Like it was so disappointing. I wasn't disappointed. It was fucking brilliant. What am I saying? But it was so surprising 
when those teams turned up and you think, and these are massive games, the crowd are up for it, and the performances of those side, you just thought, well, these are shit. I'll tell these you what, are absolutely mate. shit. Like, what's going on in this I'll, league where a team like Huddersfield have come and put in a performance like that, not had a shot on target, and they've, they've stayed up? Like, Aye. Well, I want to give as much credit to us as possible, and you are totally right with your analysis. Let's not forget that the two promoted sides apart from us heavily outspent us as well. So for Aye. us to finish as far clear of them as we did is, is like you say, purely because of the manager, but but I just think it's one of the worst Premier League te- seasons ever in terms of quality. Maybe, m- m- maybe, I absolutely, um, you, you're, probably, you're probably right, but, um, you, you, I mean, the, the Huddersfield and Southampton turn up, you, you know, Southampton have got some excellent players, they have, they've got like, I'd say they've got three or four players who you'd be happy to see in, as part of the Newcastle squad. Um, what they don't have though, um, these teams, is they don't have the, the drive of the players that we've got, so, ability-wise, you know, man for man, Huddersfield mightn't be that much different from us. Brighton mightn't be that much different. Um, but obviously, we've got a manager who, go, who does his homework. He goes out and he signs players who he knows are going to give everything. And that's what you've got. So, uh, Huddersfield come to St. James's Park. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that players just didn't fancy it. It's very rare that you get a Newcastle performance, even when we're poor under Rafa Benitez. You know, when we went through that bad run with the players, they down tools completely. Um, and with, with teams like Huddersfield and Southampton, you got the impression they did that after five minutes. Um, and also, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you look, look at Huddersfield, look at Brighton. Like, they're just negative teams, aren't they? We've played, we've played like, you know, a style of football that has been reliant on the other team, having more possession than us. But I don't feel we've ever been negative, other than possibly against Man City. But again, there were solid reasons for that. There were solid reasons for it against Liverpool away, and we still could have we still could have got something out of those games. Um, but Huddersfield, twenty eight goals. I mean, I'm staggered that a team that scored twenty eight goals has stayed up. I really am, and um, I actually that's a, it, it's a good argument. You know, you could say the quality is really bad, um, but it's um, it's just I think it's just indicative of the fact that uh, on a on a shoestring relative shoestring budget, Rafa's constructed a squad of players who actually give a shit, and it's fantastic to see. I want to just follow on from that point because I think you're absolutely right. This 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 culture that Rafa's created in that every single player has bought into it and every single player fights for him and fights for the team every single game. You think of like, you know, like bodies on the line, like Palace away. I remember defenders just throwing themselves in front of the ball. You obviously think of um, West Ham away, Man United home. There, there's just, our players just put sticking their face in if they think it's going to block a shot and... It's 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 that fighting spirit that I think um, the other teams around us and sort of further down were just bereft of. You didn't have that kind of attitude at Stoke. You didn't have that kind of attitude at Southampton. And I think because we had gone through relegation um, woes uh, a couple of seasons ago, I think the squad were were very very aware and a lot more aware and awake to the threat of relegation than a lot of other teams around us that you might expect to, you know, West Brom, Stoke, they're, middle of the t- they're, they're mid-table Premier League stalwarts, yet they've gone because they slept-walked um, and they and they, 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 they didn't realise the threat. I felt that Southampton were really casual as well, but they just didn't have that togetherness that Rafa Benitez brought. And I, I mentioned before about mar- marginal gains. We talk about the goal difference as well. That's been worth, uh, it was well-documented, an extra couple of million, an extra couple of points. Uh, sorry, actually, a couple of places. It it it, it it's that it's you just don't see that anywhere else. That's the world class abilities of Rafa Benitez to raise a team that might have well have just sort of you know 
sunk into sort of 14, 15, 16, that has actually managed to raise us, overachieved, and get us into... The reason I bring up the, the lack of quality in the league or the lack of endeavour and passion and all these kind of words we're using to describe the other teams is because we're going to talk about January now and the importance of the January window with Adam. And it's I'm shocked that other teams could do the right thing in January. Swansea bought IU back for 15 million. The right thing to do. Um, you know, Brighton brought in a 60 million pound player and you know, various, pretty much every other team, apart from Bournemouth, I think, who are always going to be all right, brought in someone for over 10 million pounds. And that's the right thing to do because they're trying to stay in the Premier League. Whereas we managed to outperform all of these teams in the second half of the season, comfortably outperform them, play better than them, beat them, on the whole, and Adam in January, Ashley took another massive gamble, not just by not spending any money, but bringing in the lads he did right at the end of the window. Um, for you, how important was that? And do you think we would have stayed up without the players that came in January? Firstly, I just want to say that as as important as the the, the players have been, now, I'll, I'll I'll explain uh, my thoughts on them in a second. But I think even if we hadn't brought in those players in January. Although we might have, it might have gone right to the wire. I still don't think that that would have had been. If we brought nobody in in January, I don't think that would have been nailed on. We're down, but it, we would have heavily struggled. Still, we would have scraped through if we were to scrape up. But the <laughs> the transformation on the team, and I think that the main theme is confidence. So, if you look at Kennedy, it was a player who. Rafa was chasing the summer. That was probably one of the few players that we he wanted to bring in that he couldn't. That probably wasn't Mike Ashley's fault um, because Chelsea didn't want to release him unless they'd brought in a replacement, which was Emerson Palmieri uh, from Roma, which happened in, in January, which was when we fin- obviously finally got him. And what he brought was, he was he's just so comfortable on the ball and for all his flair, for all his tricks, for all his showboating, what Kennedy has, and I think he's, he's certainly surprised me, and I think he surprised a lot of people, particularly people who, including myself, who thought he was coming in for, as, a, as, a, as a dummit, uh, to, to challenge dummit for left-back, or possibly to become a, a left-wing-back with five at the back. But he had end product. And this is something that Atsu, you know, works hard, good guy, you know, runs hard. He tries his best, but ultimately, the end product I don't think is of a, of a is of a Premier League standard, or certainly a, a Premier League standard that we want to aspire to. And Kennedy just came in, dripping with confidence. I mean, we we talked about that was that Burnley game at home, where he just the first half an hour he won the penalty, he had a shot off the post, he was everywhere, he was absolutely loving life, and it was suddenly he's gone from being a bit of an outcast at Chelsea. Um, he had some off field issues that probably hampered his development there and he came to Newcastle and he was just everyone was buzzing he was just instantly loved and the effect that he had on players around him to perform to their their best you know knowing that Kennedy's on the ball he's reliable you can trust him he can dribble so well and retain possession he's not he's not like he's not one of these attacking midfielders who likes to dribble and just will lose the ball every single time, every single time, every single, and you'll end up like rolling your eyes every time he tries a, a little trick. So you have that, you know, in the final third, we had an extra sort of, he, had, he brought ideas and creativity. But at the back, Martin Dubravka, right? This is crazy. For, 
on paper, Martin Dubravka could and should have possibly been just another Matt Sells. When we brought Matt Sells in, he was in the Belgian squad. He was from a more um, high-profile league and Champions League team, and yeah. And there is sort of there was kind of no reason beyond Rafa's obvious genius that he he should have he should have had the impact and the performances that he's given us this season for what a couple a couple of million quid you know like I think the, the loan fee was less than two million or something there's t- he's obviously in talks to make a permanent which would be a four million pound sign in which in this day and age is it's, it's coppers it's absolute coppers but what Dubravka brought well he's a backup from uh, Prague one I think yeah didn't even start for them I mean what Dubravka brought and we talk about the defence and how he galvanised that defence and made it solid I mean we finished the season seventh best defence in the Premier League Seventh best, and we we spent forty million quid, and brought in twenty eight or something, whatever twenty six. Yeah. So, it, knowing that, I mean, there was always a there was always a, a criticism of Elliot and Darlow that they weren't vocal enough, and I often find that they didn't equally command their area. Debravka commands his area. The way he can pluck a cross out. Like you just, he's one of those keepers that you can't float a ball near because it's pointless. Don't matter if you've got Peter Crouch up front, you will not get near it when Dubravka's there. His, his, his shot stopping is, but but it's, it's it's his communication, and I think that has been the key. That's what Rafa wanted all along: communication at the back, so that Lascelles and Lejeune can be the best that they can be, knowing they've got somebody reliable at the back. So it was, it's it's it's, and he's just strolled into the Premier League like he's been playing here for a decade. So it's it's confidence at the back and it's confidence in the final third of what what Kennedy and Dubravka brought, and they just topped up uh, a side that was already, you know, had highs and lows, but pretty well drilled all season. Sometimes it came off, sometimes it didn't, but they just brought an extra touch of class and just mind blowing impact. Amazing. To back up your point, um, before that Burnley game, we had 23 points from 24 games, less than a point a game, and we're three points, we're 15th because of our goal difference. Uh, there were three teams on 23 points, and we were three points off Swansea at the bottom of the league. Um, you now you compare pretty much bringing in the lads who came in after that date, the, the league table is just one continuing, like more attractive table to look at from Newcastle point of view. So the you know, we've talked about the spine, we've talked about the right players and the you know right holes and all that kind of stuff. But you can't the, like if you were just look at it from a purely statistical point of view, the impact of those players on our points per game and our league position is just astronomical. And probably I haven't researched this, but the fact that we finished above all these teams I'm looking at probably greater impact than any other signings from the rest of the league. And if you look at the money that was spent on other players by other teams, um, you have to congratulate Rafa and his scouting team. For, for bringing in players like that because let's face it when when he cast United the 15th in the Premier League when Kennedy walks through the door you know it was the, there were a queue of other teams were West Ham after Kennedy were Watford were Everton were all of these teams that no it was Rafa wanted them right from the start he'd recognise that this is a player same with Dubravka that would improve Newcastle United and he was desperate to get them in um, it's uh, it's an absolute it's one of the it's one of the, the miracles of the season was the scouting of those two players and the impact they had I fully agree with everything Adam says Ben I think the Dubravka one, so you, you, you said before um, about you didn't think, you, you felt like we wouldn't have got relegated. I honestly think that Dubravka signing saved our season because if you think that Man Man U game, we were going in, we were going to be in the bottom three 
Um, and the the saves he pulled out in that game. I mean, if you if you'd think if we'd have had Elliot or Dollar in goal, we probably don't win that game. Here's the thing with with Rafa though. Dubravka comes in and doesn't start against Burnley. It's it's kind of one of the big what ifs if if uh, Dollar tips that one over the bar against Burnley rather than onto the bar. It's like does Dubravka even get a game? He probably would have because I think his talent in training and ability to come to the ball, but. There's all those if buts and maybes, but certainly in January, and you say Kennedy rightly, Adam against um, Burnley was just a he lifted the whole of the city, the the whole of the region, the whole of the fan base was like wow, and you know what? We probably didn't see him um, have as positive an attack and influence on any game after that. He was Minus very, Southampton. Sorry, yeah, of course Southampton, um, but it was just. Everyone knew, and the opposition, by the way, and all of those teams who had decided not to go from knew his ability, and they were like, ah, <laughs> yeah, like, he's meant. And then it's no surprise that you see Matt Ritchie come into a rich vein of form when there's someone else to worry about on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it well, creates space, it creates space for everybody, it creates space for Matt Ritchie, it creates space for John Joe Shelby. The fact that defenders and centre midfielders are drawn towards Kennedy naturally, who's playing without a, like, he's by, by himself basically, because Dummett, for all his positives, doesn't get forward very much and creates space for him. I'd like to see Jacob Murphy and Kennedy um, next season play with a more attacking fullback. I'm not saying I want to replace Paul Dummett, I'm absolutely delighted he'll be here, part of the team, but it'll be nice to have a backup who's a very attacking option and I think you'd see the best of those two players with a more attacking fullback having said that we'll probably be weaker defensively so you know something for Rafa to sort out in the summer Rafa's blanket it was the it was the balance that you you mentioned the Rich, the Richie thing there the, the fact that not all the pressures on Richie I mean we know from from last season the championship year we, we were very sort of um, critical of the left side with with Gufran and, and Atsu playing there as well and and dumb it the sort of the lack of uh, production that we got from that side as opposed to to, to the the, obviously Richie on the right and and Yedlin getting forward. Um, so just just having somebody to to, to be able to, to play the switch for Shelby and take a bit of that pressure off off Richie and, and you, as again you, you you said it yourself there um, the, the the impact that had on Richie. I mean Richie really a lot of people were saying he'd had a really poor season until um, sort of January February where then all of a sudden he started scoring and he, he had that new lease of life and and he looks like a completely different player. So. There's a lot of there was a lot of big impact at that uh, January transfer window, um, did which, <laughs> like <laughs> I think we're probably all thinking it's not enough at the time, um, oh, no. nowhere near enough, and it was a bit of a disgrace. But we, we got away with it, and but we we got the maximum out of sort of the minimum almost, and and that's got again got to go credit Rafa. You got to realize what Rafa Benitez is worth financially, Newcastle United. I mean, to buy an injured Slamani, to Bravka on loan. Um, Kennedy on loan and I'm sure there were fees involved but let's call it less than £5 million pounds all in um, for Rafa Benitez to turn water into wine essentially and gain Newcastle United an extra £120 million pounds while being in the Premier League next season based on those on that scouting system is uh, is something else Norman quickly from you uh, a, word, a word on the, the the lads in January that maybe we haven't mentioned um, well, we no one's mentioned Slomani. I mean, unfortunately, it just didn't work out for him. Um, he, he he put in a couple of brilliant cameo appearances, no doubt. Um, Huddersfield, he was he was really important again. You know, we can we can write him off, but at the same time, he you know that win against Huddersfield was was absolutely vital. Um, and also the, the game against Arsenal, which more or less confirmed a place in the Premier League next season. So yeah, it didn't work out particularly well, but at the same time, um, he did he did a couple of things that turned out to be. Turned out to be a uh, very valuable. Um, quick word on Dubravka. Um, I think that uh, I think that without Dubravka, we would have had serious issues. Um, the 
nothing nothing against Darlow Elliott, but um, they're just they're just so far off. Someone like Dubravka is ridiculous. I mean, he, he his command of the back four from the moment he stepped on the pitch against Man U was unbelievable. The co- just pure confidence. And it just it filtered through. It filtered through to the back four, and they were better for it. And um, you saw it against Chelsea on Sunday as well. He just he just takes no prisoners, and um, and he's he's brilliant. He's an absolutely brilliant goalkeeper, and um, uh, he was he's signings. It'll go down as as you know one of the most important signings we've made in recent years. Getting him on loan for four months, fantastic. Get him signed, and he's a really nice guy as well. <laughs> Um, I think Martin Hardy put out Martin Hardy's been on the show a few times friend of the show put out a tweet saying Dubravka walked out of St James's on Sunday just high-fiving strangers <laughs> like could you imagine playing in front of like 1400 people in the Czech Republic like in November <laughs> like Norman while me, while me and you were at West Brom away Dubravka was sat on the bench like in front of I don't want to disparage the Czech Republic league disparage much. yeah um, I'm sure the, elite, the league aren't listening um <laughs> Martin, if you're listening, it's I'm sure it's a really high standard and made you the player you are. But just can you imagine walking out at St James's Park against Man United in front of the world and just like how how have I got here? Yeah, and pulling off those saves. Um, what a bloke! Right, Ben, to you supporting the team this season. It was the first season of Block V for us and for everybody else in Block V, obviously. Um, the atmosphere, Rafa consistently talked about the home atmosphere. Backing the players, sticking with the players. Do you think his dreams have finally been realised? Because he ha- he hasn't had to say it as much in recent weeks. Yeah, I think there's, there's, you can see. I mean, I suppose it's it's helped with the the, the results in terms of. Um, I don't think any. If you'd have said we'll beat Chelsea, Arsenal, and Man U at home this season. Last time we did that, guess quickly, lads. <sighs> yeah. Um. Two thousand five. I'll go oh two. Uh, Norman. I'm gonna go. Um, oh God. Uh, oh, early noughties. That's all I can say. Nineteen sixty-nine was the last <laughs> time Newcastle beat Arsenal, Chelsea, and Man United at home in a league season. I wasn't even a concept then. <laughs> um, that I meant the, the, I, I the early nineteen hundreds actually, but there. Just especially <laughs> in the but. Like the, the the gravity of the situation to the, the three teams that have probably spent hundreds of millions of pounds on their squads this season as well, and they've turned up and our boys have absolutely whooped them. So, um, but just the 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 big the, re- the reason I sort of bring those three up was those were the three games where the atmosphere was absolutely bouncing. Like I mean, the the Man U game, I think is the loudest I've heard St James's in in a long time. Um, just the roar when obviously Richie scored and just that the final whistle, just was literally like the it was sort of hairs stand up on the back of your neck type of um, sort of uh, of an atmosphere and you you can see from the players I mean obviously we 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 were supported them well last season and it was I think the, the players appreciated the sport there was a it was a shift in the mentality I think as well and um, you, you could see the sort of in the, the improvement of that and I think a lot of that as well to be fair to them the likes of Lascelles has made a big impact in terms of how he reciprocates to the fans I don't think we've ever had that before for a long time um, and I think the, the fans appreciate that, and that I mean the, the fact that you look at the flags, like the, we've got the Rafa and Lascelles flags, um, or a, appreciation of, of what the, the love that we get back from the players, and I think that's a massive thing. I mean, Lascelles every game will do a lap of the the stadium, the lap of the pitch at the end. 
clapping everybody and you, you don't see that very often in, in this Ben, I think you're massively forgetting the massive impact of uh, fist pumps himself, Mr. Stevie Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry, Stephen. Um, but just, just I think things like that, if the <laughs> sort of the um, the the appreciation of our appreciation for them, like the cells, just stuff like that, goes a long way. And um, yeah, the funny thing I, I was noticing on, um, I've noticed it a few times. Things like the singing section. So obviously, you've been involved um, with sort of bringing that about. Um, and I've the, the first time, it, like you, you, you hear singing sections and people singing about plays on the pitch, and they never react. Martin Dubravka again, the loveliest bloke in the world, loves to turn around and wave at the fans and clap them. It's like you don't see normal players do that, and like in other, any other Simpsons would be like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like paying attention to us? Keep your head on the game." But it's just the the fact that obviously that that vocal support and it, it's probably easy, right? The, the fact that he's where he's come from, he appreciates what he's got, and I think that that um, we've got to sort of give ourselves a pat on the back as well for for sort of the the love that the, the players are feeling. I think. Um, as I say, it's it's been much improved. I think the last season at times it was wasn't a bad atmosphere, but you could tell it was a championship season in terms of it's not where we want to be and we didn't want to be there, but we were making the best of it type of thing. Whereas this season, back in the Premier League, like people were more up for it. Um, and let's let's be honest, we went through some shocking shocking um, runs performances there um, at times in the season, but I never really felt like the crowd properly like turned against the team and. I think the, the the sort of appreciation for the the work ethic of the players um, sort of kept kept were going a lot of times and and you could see they were grafted. So I think the, the 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 atmosphere this season was much much better and you can see it contributing a lot of times. And in terms of the the pressure games, I mean that uh, the Southampton one, the Huddersfield one, I mean it, obviously the Southampton helped because we scored within two minutes. But um, just just the sort of the the positive um, will from the the, the fan the fan base there. Um, it, it's only got to be a positive and I just hope it, it continues Totally agree and um, before I bring Norman and ask him I just want to congratulate everyone involved in uh, War Flags for its evolution this season from what happened last year which was which was great and it was nice to be part of but the people who've taken on this season have uh, pretty much taken on I've never seen anything in British football like it if you look at Sunday um, you look at that banner. You look at the the foils and the cost and the the effort the, that has the to go in. The for the um, the the Keegan quote was yeah. an absolute master masterpiece and, and credit to the lads that came up with that. Um, the Spanish, the Spanish as well. All right, cheers, Adam. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> no, seriously though, that's uh, it, it makes St James's Park unique, and I think the ability of the St James's Park crowd to stick with the team, like you say, and I haven't been there. For the dark days, that's when I bring Norman in because um, I was on Australia for the Everton defeat and the you know Man City Brighton. The, I didn't go to Swansea, tough games. But I think this season is the best ever season I've witnessed for atmosphere. Now we weren't there for Keegan; was pretty young, like eleven, twelve for Robson. But I even remember winning games in the boy Robson in the the stands being half empty when the final whistle goes. Um, Everyone seems to be staying right till the end. Everyone seems to want to applaud the team off, like you say, Ben, to experience that relationship that have that we have with the players and the players have with us. So, positive signs in uh, the singing section has been a pleasure to be part of this season. I mean, I'm unbelievably biased. I, I love not having to sit at football matches now, home and away. It's a pleasure. And, well, just constant non-stop support and constant variety of, of new songs have come about. And a lot of old songs come back. It's just been class. I'm not going about it too long. Norman is someone who travels back for every game. I just want to get your thoughts on it. 
Uh, how has the atmosphere been for you? And it's your first season ticket, St James, of, of course, for a long time. How has it compared to the last season ticket that you had? First season ticket since the 93-94 season, mate. Um, so... It's it's really it's it's really difficult to compare because you're talking completely different eras of football, um, and the stadium was so different as well. Um, I have to be brutally honest. My recollections of watching like um, Keegan said, you know, a smaller stadium that was absolutely packed. Um, the, it felt like the whole stadium was constantly involved in the singing. I might be I might be wrong, but that's just that's just kind of there might be like kind of nostalgic psychology to that, like, but. Um, the singing section's been fucking brilliant for me. It's been it's been great because, like you say, it means that we're on my feet and we're singing non-stop and the encouragement's constant. There's no... Like, from that particular section of the ground, there aren't any kind of collective groans, there aren't any... Um, there's no booing, and it's and it's just great to be part of such a positive atmosphere. Um, it's difficult to, difficult to gauge the atmosphere and the rest of the ground when you're in there because, precisely because, it's just ongoing singing. Um, but, obviously, I get the impression... That it's been it's been solid because if Rafa's coming out and making comments on how good it is, if you've got Lascelles tweeting after the match about how good it was, then it's obviously good. And uh, like long long may it continue. Um, I tell you what, you know what'll be fantastic. We all know this. If CF Standing comes through, CF Standing comes through, it's just going to put things on another level. So um, I fingers crossed that the the government and the football association will see sense and and do the right thing. Well said. Right, lads, let's move on to the. The main part of the podcast, the stuff everyone wants to hear, games and players of the season. We'll try and not repeat ourselves too much on the players. And I'm going to start with you. We've already referenced it. Manchester United at home. What a day. It was the listeners' game of the season. It's also your game of the season. Why is that? Man United, for me, represented... Uh, it was a catalyst. It was, um, it, was a, it was a turning point for me in terms of player performances. As... Uh, ben mentioned before it was that it was the most loud and raucous I can ever remember St James's Park being. It was the game that Dubravka became an instant Geordie cult hero. Um, it was the game that Kennedy saw just how mental Newcastle fans were and how loud it could be, and he saw the stadium in its in its best light. It was the game that. Um, you know, turned Richie's form around. He got a he, he got a goal, and then he's gone on. He's scored against Arsenal as well. Scored the winner, so he's he's got a couple of really really important goals there. It was the game, um, probably most importantly, I think, um, in terms of um, one of the in terms of our form from then until till the end of the season that Florent Lejeune started again, and his and he started his partnership with Lascelles properly, and they've never looked back. Lejeune put in a man of the match performance that day. And it's it, it basically um, it's sort of it's solidified his position in the starting eleven, and it showed. And he's only just grown in confidence from then. Do you know what it was that Man United game? It really reminds me of um, it's like a, if you've ever seen like Mad Men on TV. The first episode of Mad Men is it's so revealing about where the narrative is going to end up, the plot, where the characters are going to go. Like it, it, you don't know it at the time, but it, it is such an it's an important. Um, signifier into what's to come and I saw that in the Man United game there was the, the performances we've talked already about these the partnerships are all over the pitch but the, the, the crowd that day was just something else and do you know what the, my, my favourite thing about the whole day so I wasn't sat in my normal place I was in the, in the East Stand um, I was sat up in the um, in the Platinum Club seats um, just to the left of the, uh, the the fancy bits right in the middle but um Sir Bobby Charlton was probably about 20 feet away from us. 
Um, obviously, uh, he's a <clears throat> bit of a turncoat. Um, when that winner went in, I I would I'd had a couple of pints. Um, I was on the stairs down the middle, and I was. I was obviously just going nuts. I was celebrating. I was fist pumping everything. And then I turned towards Bobby Charlton. And I was just giving it, come on! And he was, he, the look on his face, I will never forget it. So so thanks, Bobby Charlton. Thanks for thanks for making that my happy day. We've all abused the pension, haven't we? Sometimes <laughs> in our lives. Um, Speak for yourself, Dodzy. Uh, really quickly on that game, the, my favourite part of that was well two favourite parts. Sai was so hanging from the night before after a big night with had he turned up twenty five minutes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An absolute disgrace. Um and uh this is a bit perverse and maybe tells you a little bit about my character. The in the Man United away fans, like we I've been to hundreds I've got like hundred and eighty loyalty points or something, so whatever, oh, you know. Hey. Not that I'm counting. Impressive. But I get pl- I always get plenty of listeners whenever I mention the kind of needing tickets for games last season. So no problem with that. Just keep getting in touch. Um, but that moment when you're away from home and you kind of hear that, the whole stadium, the home fans, when you're an A fan, stands up and you hear that clatter of seats, which is quite loud, and you hear that kind of inhalation of breath and you know what's coming next because you know they're going to score and you know the noise is going to go nuts and you're just like, Fuck. That's what Man United fans had to suffer. When that ball fell to Matt Ritchie, if you watch the um, highlights on Sky, listen to the noise in the ground before Matt Ritchie hits the back of the net. It's just like this huge gasp goes up. The whole stadium's on its feet. And then just the noise that when the ball hits the back of the net, like you said, Ben, there's just... I don't think you can compare it to a goal to St. James Park. Probably since uh, Shola's fifth against the Magums. In, in 2010, I um, think, in terms of noise. Okay, maybe maybe, jo- me describing it, maybe Jonas's goal against it. West Ham as well um, yeah. a, a few years ago. The, the, the noise that day was just incredible. Norman, your game of the season, please. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Uh, West Ham away. Nothing, um, I won't give as monumental, uh, monumental and you know, erudite um, explanation as Adam did. Basically, me and um, we had been on this nine, game on this nine game run when we hadn't won a game. Me and John started drinking about 11 in the morning. Um, by the time we turned up at West Ham, we were pretty tanked. Um, we'd even been drinking on the DLR, which is a bit scummy, but it was good crack. Um, we saw the, um, saw the centre midfield of Saive in Diarmia and just thought... <laughs> we, just, we just thought, well, we're going we're gonna to get, get tanked. We're going to get absolutely tanked. There's no two ways about it. And, uh, and then within the first few minutes of the game, Saive basically gave the ball away. West Ham scored on Outovich. And you're like, aye, aye, it's going to be one of those days. And then a couple of minutes, yeah, he equalised. Like, I'm sure, I think the free kick was 25 yards, but by the time I finished explaining it, two days later, it was like 60 yards. Um, and it was it was just brilliant. And then we, we did a podcast afterwards and we were absolutely steaming. I think we managed to we managed to get one, one in, in the ground before we got into this, one in the ground when we got there, one and a half time. I think we had two afterwards and then did the podcast. So by the time we did the pod, we were a good 10 pounds deep. And it was just there. Uh, and it was it was two days before Christmas. The Christmas songs came on at the end. Every single Newcastle fan in there was bladdered. Uh, bumped into quite a few people I knew. Just absolutely brilliant. Um, just one of those days that reminded you why you know why you love your team and why you love football so much. Certainly better than the Melbourne dive bar. I watched it in at like five a.m. Uh, it was still good though. But I, I just remember messaging you throughout the game, Norman, and you just kind of. 
trying to, even I was watching it, you were trying to kind of explain how big the performance was and how good Diarme was in particular. Yeah. And uh, Gale and Ritchie both hitting the post. It was just a massive game. It's one of those games like you got West Ham, you got Stoke, you got Southampton, you got Huddersfield. Games of the season. And Southampton, uh, sorry, Stoke. Oh, and the penalty. West the penalty Hamilton. as well. A missed penalty. Uh, Robbie Elliott saved, Rob Elliott oh. saved a penalty. I've been critical of Rob Elliott and he's third choice keeper, I think, and rightly so, but that was um, massive. Mm-hmm. Really funny stat about uh, Henri Savé um, because of that single appearance in which he scored, and uh, obviously give it away, but he, he basically got on who scored, he got 7.7 that day, and because he only played one game, he's actually. He's actually Newcastle's highest-rated player of the season on who scored because of that single appearance. <laughs> so if there's any, like, Turkish clubs, French clubs <laughs> yeah. listening, he's fucking mince. Russian. 15 uh, million. 20. Yeah, 20. <clears throat> um, just look at who scored. The evidence is there. Don't listen to us. Log on to who scored and have a look. <laughs> ben, yourself, your game of the season, please. Oh, it's, it's got to be yeah, this, this weekend. I, th- I think I've just about recovered. I think I've sobered up today. Um... Just Can you uh, remember it? <laughs> most of it. Just an unbelievable weekend. Um, I've not had so much fun in a long, long time. The match was class. Just, um, just. I mean, we've absolutely battered. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely battered, Chelsea. So on the match day podcast, and patrons will have listened to this. When the first goal goes in, and Sai starts recording the, the atmosphere and the reaction, and we talk about it to try and see who it is. You just start chanting Metro. <laughs> 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 What was the thinking behind that one? Because I turned around and you were like, who scored? Who scored? So <laughs> in the, the Kieran Clark, Mitro de Gate, uh, de Gate, de Bartle, Mitro Gate, as we'll call it. I just thought I'd chuck that one out there. Obviously, I was heavily, heavily... Yeah, have ex- uh, you have to explain it better than that. I'll explain it quickly. When we played West Ham, beat them 3-0, Mitrovic did out going to get the third, but just after Mitrovic came on the pitch, um, Kieran Clark scored the second goal against West Ham and the whole of the Gallagher was singing <laughs> the Mitro song. Until the announcer went and like <laughs> number five, Kieran Clark. Uh, I think even Paul Dummett got a shout, didn't he? It was like, was it? So I'm so, sure someone. Someone, had, <laughs> someone against Chelsea shouted, "Paul Dummett scored," and we were like, "He's never scored." <laughs> he, he hadn't. But anyway, you enjoyed that day. But yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Just as I say, the the, the Chelsea team. I mean, as well, you think about the the context of that game. I mean, okay, that Liverpool went on and, and beat Brighton, but they, they had everything to play for. Uh, that that Chelsea team and, and we just dominated them and people will be critical of them but we, I, I think we set our stall out and after four losing the last four games like we didn't deserve to lose all four of those games that was a massive massive um, sort of statement by that team to say all the criticism and getting the last few games all the things being thrown our way it's it's a load of bollocks like we're the fourth of that win and uh, what a way to, to secure top a top 10 finish as well because um, there was a lot of teams bearing down on us we could have easily um, fuck that up and we've done it in past seasons where we've, we've, we've let, let ourselves down in the year that that team wasn't going to allow that to happen um, and just yeah the, 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 it was such a comfortable win in the end everybody played brilliantly and then uh, the, the, the party celebrations after it was just a hell of a weekend one I'll not forget for a long long time Good shout very quickly mine I'm going to go for Southampton at home why? because it was the game where it was done we were safe there was no one thought we were going down after that game. It was the first time since probably October that relegation wasn't a word on our lips doing the podcast. It was the first game where I'd felt like I didn't have to look at Stokes results or 
West Brom's results and it was just an absolute pleasure to be able to concentrate on the team and enjoy the, the rest of the season. And that, despite the four defeats in a row, I enjoyed Spurs away. It was really good. We had a cracking weekend at Everton. You kind of win them all. Um, I wasn't there for Watford and West Brom, which were apparently two performances, so I can't come too much. But I know, Norman, you had an excellent day at, at Watford. So that, that Southampton result gave us the platform to do all of that. It gave us the platform for um, Leicester, which is one of the best days ever in a few weeks. I, I can't name that a game of the season because it was just a brilliant day because we were so pissed and the away end was so good. Like, it was so much, it was really, really funny. But yeah, Southampton at home and and basically putting another manager out of work, which I, I don't take any pride as a Castle fan, but that's how that's how comprehensive we were. We were just better than them. And you think, well, if these lads are in relegation danger, we're not because we're playing on a different level compared to them. Well, that game was wrapped up so... Um, early, it was probably about by about the hour mark. It was probably it was just done. The, the game was gone, and, it, and I don't think anybody really knew what to do with themselves because we were kind of prepared for. I mean, do you remember there was a there was an international break, and then we had yeah. we had a long break and before a, Huddersfield, and, yeah. and, and before Huddersfield and Southampton. So they we had so long to kind of think about those games. But I mem- remember mentioning on a pod that um, it was probably to Rafa's advantage that he had more time to prepare because he's that's just what he's world class at. So when it came to that Southampton game. Ah, it was it was huge, and you you knew you just knew. Really quickly, lads, I didn't ask you this. So, goal of the season. So, Halton brings me on to my goal of the season. That second goal, the counter attack. Dwight Gales, like he probably broke the world speed record. Someone should check to get from box to box. Perez's little extra touch to create the space. Gales, like his um, or selflessness to create the goal for Kennedy to tap in. It was just to be there and experience it was just exhilarating, and it was like. We scored from their corner, and for years it's been us getting done like that on the counter attack. And it's just a, it was like we're a good team here. We're, we've got talent. Compared to the grind of the first half of the season, when they scored that goal, you were like, these are pretty good, you know, lads. Like Gail Perez Kennedy, that's that, that's like a, I want to say world class, but that's a, a goal scored at the very highest level of football in Europe. Like you'd not see many better counter attacking goals than that. So that was my goal of the season. I thought you were trying to say Dwight Gale was world class then. He is. I'm going to say a Jose Perez away to Leicester. Lob. Oh, yeah. And that was a goal, because we were there, where you thought it was over. Because obviously from the away end, we were quite low down. It goes so high, you think, oh, he's put it over and then it drops back down. <laughs> um, it was just the, the technique on it. It was just brilliant. Obviously, the... the um, the, the way that it, it sort of um, linked to the, Sh- the Schmeichel Albert chip, it was just uh, wonderful stuff. Ben, it's got to be Richie. Just that Dwight Gale's little flick around the corner, just to leave uh, Matt Richie just steaming in from absolutely nowhere, where nobody anywhere near him. Just as you say, the just blasted it. Probably not the most aesthetic of goals, but just so important. Norman, difficult. Um, I would probably have gone with. Um Gone with the Perez one that uh, Adam mentioned, but if you want me to give a different a different one, I'll tell you what one it is, mate. Just because of the epic scenes and celebrations that occurred, it's the first one that we scored back in the Prem when we beat West, um, West Ham three 0 It was like a like a hostile tap in, but it was just the the kind of significance of it. It was just it was just a beautiful feeling and a beautiful and it's the start of a, a magnificent day. No one, you've picked a Hosselu goal as a goal of the season. <laughs> it could have been, to Great be fair, job, it could have been scored by anyone because it was the first goal back in the Prem and it, as I say, it started it off a, there, a fantastic it. day. Um, it was just, it just meant something spectacular, you know, and it's where this all started, really. If we hadn't beat West Ham that day, a lot of heads would have fallen off. A lot of heads were already fallen off amongst the 
more, I don't know what the right word is, um, people who kind of, yeah, pessimistic, get a bit upset when we lose a game. And it was like, we lost to the Forest on, not to the Forest, to Forest on the Wednesday. And people were saying, shite, not good enough, relegated, no chance will stay up and all this kind of stuff. And then we went and battered West Ham. Mm. And that gave us the platform to go win three or four in a row, whatever it was. And, you know, I just think you're right, that first goal was massive Norman and it kind of it set the season up it's like the season started then can I just add something can I add something so um, Hosselu he's probably, he's probably going pre-season and you know he's, he's had a hell of a lot of criticism um, and you know we know that he's not um, we know that he's not the you know calibre of player that we, that we want in the Premier League simple as that but um, just a final thing on he put like a, a really nice tweet out the other day with his kid on the pitch and someone actually replied to his tweet um, yeah thanks mate but you know you know, you ha- basically, you're only good enough for the championship. So, you know, the kid who did that, you're a fucking dickhead. There's just no point in doing it. I just felt like I had to say that. Thank you. Well said. We'll move on to games of the season. We've done games. Player. Player of the season. It's been a long podcast. We've got loads left to do. Um, right, lads. Player of the season. Again, who would have thought it? we've gone for four different players? Uh, I'll start again with the listeners. Player of the season was Jamal Lascelles by an absolute canter. Uh, Adam, I know you agree with that sentiment. Captain Fantastic. As we said before, he started the season not in favour. Um, he was many people questioning, well, initially questioning why, when Rafa made him captain in the first place. He proved himself in the championship, but then after, you know, after sort of January, February, he went into a really bad run of form and it's obviously transpired that he, he'd had a sort of niggling injury, um, but his form had, you know, really dropped and, which is why he was, he was, he was, uh, he, you know, he's he lost out his, uh, his starting eleven position. But I mean, those early goals against uh, Stoke and Swansea, I think it was in the opening few weeks. You know, it, 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 they, those goals were really, really enjoyable, and his his ability. I mean, how important he was to that side. Do you remember? I mean, the run of form coincided with his absence from the team, and. Obviously, when he came back, our, our fortunes turned a corner again. And But if for nothing else, Jamal Lascelles, and we, we all know what kind of character, he has the right character and attitude, and he, he, he gives such a big shit about this football club and about Raf. And Raf has talked about, or certainly it's been alluded to, that that, that, that he's a kind of Gerard figure um, for, for Rafa Benitez. You know, he could rely on his captain. He was... Almost, I guess, like probably a sort of player level confidant as well. Um, and the relationship that they have, the bond that they have, is absolutely integral to how this this whole club works, how the dressing room works, how the mentality is. But my favourite reason that Jamal Lasalle should be Newcastle United Player of the Year is for his basically for literally punching world class form into Modi Army. <laughs> Well said, can't disagree with anything of that. Um, Norman, you've gone for a player who in the first half of the season struggled quite a bit, so why don't you tell us about that? Um, I have gone for Matt Ritchie because, um, um, incredibly, we all had a different player each. Um, so I've gone, I've, I've gone, I've gone for, I've, I've gone for Ritchie because he had, you know, you see, he had a slow start of the season. He wasn't particularly bad, um, but during that kind of nine-game poor spell, um, he like like a lot of the other players, he kind of just disappeared. Um, and we were all questioning whether or not Richie was a Premier League performer. Um, is this one of the reasons that you know Bournemouth let him go when they did? 
Um, he's not quick enough. He's not skillful enough. Blah blah blah. And um, by the end of the season, not only has he scored winning goals against Man U and Arsenal, um, he's he's desire to win. His leadership on the pitch, the amount of graft that he puts in, he, he's you know he's always want to put his head like head above the air, above the parapet. Um, the stat that came up on the telly on Sunday, he's created fifty chances. He's just an absolutely incredibly vital player at the team, and he's one of those players as well who who I suppose like we're seeing from Dubravka now really appreciates the situation that he's in. Doesn't take any of it for granted for any single second. And if you've got players like that on the side. You're always going to love them. Um, I, he's been brilliant, and I'm I, again looking forward to him being in the squad next season. To be fair to him as well, he's come from Bournemouth, what twelve thousand is it a capacity or something to to play in front of fifty-two. But that, that's what that's what I'm saying when he looks like somebody who who you know appreciates exactly where they are. And it's about you up, Norman. You think over the last two seasons in terms of contribution to get us out of the championship, massive, and his contribution this season. What a fucking bargain he's been. At well, Wigan, Wigan and Burton, Wigan and Burton last season, those two games, he was the one who got with the six points. He pulled it through from two pretty mediocre performances. Um, he, he just he took both those games by the scruff, the scruff of the necks at an incredibly vital part of the season. And um, even when and the referee didn't away, know the rules, Huddersfield away with a penalty under massive loads of pressure. He's just brilliant. He's He's excellent at set pieces. He's incredibly reliable, and um, he's a. I think he's a very much loved player at the club. Well said, uh, Ben. John Joe Shelby for you. Uh, Matt Ritchie for me, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Joe, um, just he's. Uh, I, I take I take issue with. Uh, I don't know which one you said it before, but we're we're a team full of me sort of average. Level it, was, it was me and I didn't see a mediocre or average. I didn't see, it was me and I didn't see a mediocre average. What I said was, there's not massive disparity Sorry, between the abilities. Like level, yeah. All right, so get your facts right, son. Get your facts right. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> no, it's just, everyone's falling out with each other at the end of the season. Exactly, now. I'm going <laughs> to drop this pretense that we're like yeah. each other. I hear it's you a load all. of bollocks on when you're chatting shade. Shelby's the best player in the club by an absolute mile. He's um, just... I, I just think he's got a lot more ability than anybody else has probably got in in the whole body he's probably got in, in his, his right foot the things he can do I mean he, he's the one that makes this team tick and he's, he, we saw we relied on him massively last season to be the one to have the quality to break teams down and we've seen it again this year in some um, very tight games I mean you think back that Huddersfield game how um, sort of difficult difficult a game it was and, and he was the one that was creating all the chances and Okay, it, his, his stats probably don't um, justify sort of the impact he has on this team in terms. Of, I think he's only got three assists by the end of the the year, but he's, he's just he's the most important player in the team. I think based on the fact that all of our attack play comes through him, and without him, we we, we probably wouldn't have, have have got some of the goals um, that that we've we've come out with it at the end of the season. And I think the fact that um, he's being linked with in, an England call up. Um, with a, a team that's recently promoted and, and an unfancy team by sort of everybody's opinions anyway, um, just it, it's just testament to how good a season he's had. And I think um, he, he, we've, we've already talked about it. And, and I, um, you, you spoke at the start of the game when we, we said, uh, sorry, the start of the pod where we said the sort of midfield was was the, the sort of key bit to, to fix for Rafa, um, and that coincided with with Mo and, and Shelby's. Um, Sort of uh, the the, the gel in and just just the the partnership they put together. Um, fair play to Mo, obviously ma- massive player in that. But but Shelby's the the difference maker for me in terms of 
what what we do at the top end of the pitch. So I've I've got to give it Charlie. I think he's 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 been the best player. It's interesting you mentioned about the stats and how he might not have as many goals or assists, but imagine they counted half assists. You know how many times Shelby passes it to the eventual assister. Yeah. Like he'll be right up there. And obviously the stats don't tell you the way he was controlling a game like against Chelsea, um, like against um, Southampton, like games like that are made from what he did at Leicester away as well. Just fantastic. The best thing I can say for Shelby is that when he plays well, Newcastle tend to win. Um, you can't think of too many games where we get beat and Shelby was brilliant. Um, I'm going to talk about Modi Army, my player of the season now. And, uh, you know, I think Modi Army was excellent at Watford. He was still very good against West Brom. And the type of player you know, he plays, he can still be brilliant, but it didn't necessarily rub off on his teammates. Whereas when John Drew is brilliant, everyone's brilliant. Like Dwight Gale is 10 times the player. Uh, Perez gets lots of time and space. That's just Sai joining us now for kind of part two, which is the listener Q&A, which Norman's going to leave us for. Um, ben was just getting a bit concerned that someone had entered the house. He's <laughs> about to go and get me a baseball bat then. <laughs> Um, so he's just gonna have a, a quick, a quick sit down sigh. Hello, Good guys. to see. Um, <laughs> yeah. So back to Modi Arme, player of the season. Um, we kind of talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. Um, Norman kind of uh, touching it. There isn't another player I've probably ever seen play for Newcastle who makes other Premier League players shit themselves on the football pitch. Modi Arme makes opponents play the ball backwards, and that sounds like so pointless and irrelevant but good players at Chelsea are a prime example Ross Barkley and Golo Conte Eden Hazard they like to pick the ball up and move and Golo Conte in particular and Hazard kind of move into danger areas of the pitch and opposition players aren't used to having players run at them that directly and they kind of the, the commit fouls you know I think it was Chancellor Bemba's last performance uh, for Newcastle at Chelsea in the cup when he had a, like a half decent first twenty minutes, and then he just brought side down Hazard yeah, on the edge of the area Hazard, yeah, because he panicked because he was like, yeah. "This isn't supposed to happen. He's supposed to play the ball out wide. You fullback, not run at me and, and move past me." Modi Army is kind of the defensive version of those players, where opposition players think, "Right, I've got the ball. I'm shielded. I've got a man to my right. You're going to stand there and make me pass it sideways, or you're going to accept me passing out of my fullback forwards." They don't expect Modi Army to come hurtling under them <laughs> at 100 mile an hour, like basically smashing them, the whole body out of the way like a fucking... But he's so big as well, yeah, it's like, like so gangly, it's yeah, like, like, you can't pass it left or right. You've, I can't you've got remember the name of the player for Southampton. Norman, can you remember who it was? Um, one of the players for Southampton. Lamina. Was it Lamina? Yeah. The whole afternoon, you just constantly in like a state of shock at Modi Army entering his personal zone and his personal space. This is a £20 million pound signing from Juve as yeah. well. He's probably played Champions League Champions football. League. Yeah, in, like, he's got, he walked away from St. James did, with a PTSD. Did you, uh, <laughs> like in, in did you see like the tree? The, the chance for, um, it might have even been Mo's shot that went just wide. And Golo Conte's got the ball on the edge of the box and Modi Army just goes and takes it off him and it's like, you do not see other Premier League players do that. And it's like Paul Pogba at St. James's Park. Paul Pogba, when we saw Paul Pogba play against Shelby and Hayden, and I know Pogba's had his issues, but that's one of the best Premier League performances I've ever seen. And I think you agreed with me, Norman, at the time. That day, Pogba against us at Old Trafford was absolutely brilliant. He was bullying where he was... Yeah. Hayden wasn't even there. He was just... It wasn't like a mower where he'd hammer into them. It was just kind of a disdain, like an arm off. He'd move the ball, he'd move it. And then compare that to St. James's Park, Modial made first minute of the game, he absolutely floors Martial. <laughs> Second minute of the game, I think he elbows Ashley Young in the face and gets away with it. And it's just like, it's just an absolute pleasure to watch. And there's not that much you can say 
about him as a technical footballer, but he does he does have all of the attributes. Some of his passing as the season's gone on got better and better. His appreciation of space and his ability to bring the ball down under the pressure. We saw loads of that on Sunday. And it's just nice and it shouldn't be like this because Mike Ashley's Mike Ashley. But it's nice that we've got two point five million pound midfielders playing like thirty, forty million pound midfielders and Rafa Benitez is the only man I can think of who could turn Modi Army and what he's done. And Norman, you said earlier in the show that basically Modi Army remembered he was massive. I think Modi Army remembered that he could contribute to this team in a meaningful way. And we spoke in the podcast last season, I thought he got a lot of unfair stick because of the work he put in number 10. He, he scored some good goals, some good assists that didn't really get talked about. But he was poor earlier this season. I thought he was poor in the number 10 role. He was poor against Everton when he was disgracefully booed off by some players. And you referenced, Adam, the, the kind of fight. Some players were booing him off. Sorry. <laughs> Probably in the, in their, in their um, harsh, but um, yeah, you said the cells and training supposedly had a fist fight with him, and he's been excellent ever since. He's probably remembered that we needed him, and I think that's the most important thing. And I go back to that Leicester podcast that we did with Norman and Ben. I said we've got to get Modi Army in here because we need his experience. He's played in the Premier League for years. Isaac Hayden hadn't played in the Premier League. Um, Marino hadn't played in the Premier League. John Joe Shelby's played in the Premier League, but had issues in the Premier League. Hasn't ever hit the heights he's hit this season in the Premier League. I think Modi Arme has realised that he actually became a senior player this season, whereas he wasn't a senior player last season. He was a player in and out of the team. He was a player who no one looked to for inspirational leadership, and they looked to him for all of those things these days. And that's kind of probably the first time in his career he's been someone that other players in the team have thought, well, we've got Modi to do. He'll sort it out. He'll not let teams walk through the middle of the pitch like the dirty run this season, even when he was playing. And um, it's been one of the highlights of the season, watching his performances. And it, it tells you... Last, last thing on him if you had to pick a position of where Newcastle needed to strengthen it would have been my number one position in November, December and now it's it's bottom of the list centre midfield it's like Sunday League awards isn't it he's like most improved award yeah. Modi Army Sportsman of the Year like Clubman of the Year or something like that <laughs> um, so that's that's all the players of the year done we've got a full Q&A to come so Norman's left us and we're now joined by Simon Campbell to go through the listener Q&A. Thank you very much to all the listeners who sent in your end-of-season questions. First of all, I have to give the obligatory selling job to you for our extra content and patrons. So first of all, thanks very much to all of the, the hundreds of you who've signed up. Um, if you like the podcast and like what we're doing, you think it's worth £5 a month, not just to give us £5 a month to pay for the sound equipment that we're using now, which costs thousands of pounds. Loads of people said they've noticed the vast improvement in sound quality. Um, that was all possible because of the the patron money that's come in and we spend all of the money back onto the podcast. Um, but also you get two to four extra shows a week of content. Um, we're going to be podcasting all summer. It's not going to stop. We've got loads more end-of-season stuff. Looking forward to next season, we're going to do lots of the pre-season games, the transfer window, and of course we've got scores of World Cup uh, shows in England coverage um, starting. So I may as well... Ask you now, if you like the show, there's going to be a link in this podcast or look at our Twitter or Facebook pages at TF Weekly Pod. Just subscribe, £1.25 a week. If you like what you hear, you know, give it a go. You can always sack it off if you don't um, and would be massively appreciative and it keeps the podcast going. Uh, this is the fourth season now. We're delighted with the numbers that we get. We really appreciate everyone who tunes in, listens, uh, you know, engages with us and enjoys the show. Um, it's kind of, we think it's come on a long way since uh, the early days in, uh, in Mickey's shop and stuff like that <laughs> back in 2014 when Alan Podge was the manager and there's been a lot gone on Newcastle United since then it's been a pleasure to chronicle um, you know Sire was listening back before tonight some of the podcasts this season and uh, me and you recording podcasts at what 5am in Australia in an echoey house <laughs> kicking off about the Brighton game 
Um, talking about how John Joe Shelby, how the fuck is he not playing against these teams? We'll start off um, asking the question, lads. I know Ben, you're very positive about this. You're not happy that Shelby's not going to be be in the England squad, are you? And do you want to kind of talk us through why you think that should happen? I just think when you look at the impact he's had on Newcastle United, um, and, and there's a lot of similarities in in terms of the the ability of the Newcastle players. Um, against the rest of the Premier League and England against the, the rest of the World Cup squads. We're, we're not one of the favourites. We're not one of the teams that sort of team uh, sort of are going to be a, a, a favourite pre, um, pre-tournament, but we're, we're a side that can hurt teams if we play the right way and play to our strengths. We've got a hell of a lot of pace in the attacking areas of the pitch, um, but we're a bit sort of a bit of a liability at the back. Um, now, having a player like John Joe Shelby in, in, in that team, you, you, you've seen what he's been able to do with Dwight Gale up front, the, the, the partnership they put together. And, and Dwight Gale, literally now, it's just the, the first thought of in his head is the second play stops or the second there's sort of a, a lull in the game, he knows to just get on the, the shoulder of the, the, the last defender and just get in behind. And he knows John Joe's going to hit the ball straight away. Imagine upgrading. So Dwight Gale, I mean, I know you, you're a massive fan of him, but... He, he doesn't he doesn't have the sort of um the finishing abilities of a Jamie Vardy for example Vardy and Shelby could literally cause anybody issues and there's no there's no team I think in the World Cup that would be able to cope with what those two could do together if it sort of went our way um you look at the rest of the England team sort of the players that he's against and I mean the, the, the likes of Livermore's been getting game time they're talking about Jack Wilshire still who's been a perennial disappointment really in an England shirt. He had a couple of years um, before the last years, I think, where he, he was sort of playing well in the qualifiers, but you, you can't rely on him. Um, Jordan Henderson is, is the well, sort of England... We're going through football reasons here, but the reason that, that the media reporter, John Cross, and um, a lot from the BBC that Mark Douglas was tweeting earlier in the day, uh, you know, anyone else feel welcome to come in on this, is that it's not football reasons, it's discipline and... What's the right word? Um, attitude or... Dis- disruptive, yeah, maybe. disruptive influence. Yeah, two answers to that. I saw today, Shelby's not had a yellow card since Christmas this season, so discipline's not really an issue. He's clearly turned that round. Um, and they're talking about Jake Livermore going, and didn't he like, go and rob a car and crash a taxi or something? Pissed. And pissed <laughs> when he was in, in Spain. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all right, mate? Yeah, yeah, just... Take, snap, take just a deep breath. Yeah. a sniff. So, yeah, there's, there's, you just can't use that argument when there's other players in there who've also got bad reputations for, for the same reason. I'll provide the football reasons why I don't think he's going to be picked up. So if, if these are the football reasons, and I know I get what everyone's saying, but I kind of feel that Southgate wants a central midfield the most fluid part of the pitch. So he wants defenders to be able to step up in the midfield with the ball and play the ball. That's why he wants ball-playing defenders. That's why we'll probably not see Jamal Lasalle in the squad, probably, even though I think he deserves to go. But I can understand, at least there's a plan and a vision there. And I think he wants his full-backs to bomb up incredibly high. It's, it looks like he might even play full-backs at centre-back to kind of have that all-out attack from the back of the pitch. And I know that might sound funny watching some of them in the games recently, but I think that's the plan. And I think he wants his centre his center midfielders, the likes of Adair, Livermore even, Henderson to be able to fill in at fullback, and I just don't think John Joe Shelby is capable. And I, you know what? People say that Southgate doesn't come watch Newcastle St James Park, which they're right, and it's a disgrace that he doesn't. But he came to watch Newcastle play at Everton, and well, you know, who knew he came to watch, came to watch Everton play when Newcastle were playing? That's one way you could look at it. And their goal, Shelby was left in the fullback position, 
and Everton got a cross in and they scored. Now, that's a hugely specific example I'm giving you, but I'm just trying to think of reasons, football reasons, why he wouldn't pick him and kind of Shelby can't defend. He can't tackle. He's been much better at it, but I think he wants his central midfield to be the kind of engine room and not not the ball playing. I think he wants the, the centre-backs to take more of the responsibility on the ball. He wants... The fullbacks to take more responsibility. Absolutely fucking mental. If that's what he, how you, <laughs> a centre back when you've got a ball player like John Joe Shelby, you want to put James. You want to put the ball in James Tarkowski's so, so give you an example. So when, bring, like, when it's England, just mental. If when England were playing, <laughs> you're right. Italy you're right. Holland, I've seen it. You, you know. So you called it earlier in the show that when Shelby is playing worse, he's going back and picking the ball up with the centre backs. I think Southgate doesn't want that to happen. He wants his midfield to push up the pitch, provide options, move kind of in, in, in the centre-backs, like I said, have to take more responsibility in the ball. And I think he kind of thinks, well, I've I've got the centre-backs, so I've got the back three or the back five, whatever, however you want to look at it, doing that job. If I bring in John Joe Shelby, he's going to disrupt that tactical flow. Listen, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just trying to think of reasons why you couldn't, you wouldn't pick John Joe Shelby because you are absolutely right, lads, and everything that you've said. And as an England fan, as someone who's really looking forward to the World Cup, and, and I think England will do well, whether you think that's ridiculous or not. Um, I think John Joe Shelby would be an asset, but I, I can't believe, I don't want to believe, because of the reasons that you lads have given, that John Joe Shelby is not going to go to the World Cup because he, he like flicked out at Dali Ali at the start of the season, or he two footed. A man you play like six years ago, like it just seems totally nonsensical to me. So these me football reasons in my head. It's, it's just a hypocrisy of it there that like he, he he gets tarnished with this brush when you've got the. I mean you've you've mentioned Delhi Ali like gets credit for playing on the edge. Yeah. So what the fuck's Ch- Shelby doing? Harry Kane people give him credit for that. Like oh it was ni- nice to see him have a bit of nasty streak when he went two footed Lejeune in the back. What the fuck lads? Wayne Rooney for years been a little brat like doing all sorts has been hailed as oh you y- wouldn't be the same player without that. So what like I, I just don't understand what 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 it is Shelby's done wrong. It's just mental. I think for me it's it's who is who will eventually go in his place that will determine my mood about the whole thing. If it's Lallana who hasn't played a game. He's hardly played a game all season and he strangled an under-23 player in a reserve match. If it's Jake Livermore who got relegated, stole a taxi and, um, well, he nearly broke... Nearly bro- yeah, nearly, nearly, nearly broke uh, Matt Ritchie's leg, I think it was, in the, uh, in the West Brom game. He'd put in a horrible tackle on him. If, you've, if you look at, um, you know, if we're talking about players like Lewis Cook... I'm sure he's he might develop into a fantastic player, but I don't think he's you know international class just yet. If you you know, it depends who's going to go with with injuries to players like Oxlade Chamberlain, and you've got what is what I would regard as quite a a dry midfield. We've got a player who has an ability that very few players in world football are able to do, and um, that's no exaggeration. His passing range is not even a lot of the world class players can't do that, what he does, in, in the way that he does it. It's a secret weapon that you'd use off the bench if we needed to break down, if, if we were 1-0 down, you know, in a group stage match, and we need to break down a defence quickly. What What's the point in having Jake Livermore, Lewis Cook on the on, on the bench? They're not going to come on and affect any sort of meaningful positive forward change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, Doc, if he's got a style of play and he's got a kind of a first eleven in mind and a, and a way he wants to approach the first few games and fine but if that doesn't work you, you can't have a plan B that's the exact same kind of player 
So that 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 would it just makes no sense to leave Shelby out on those grounds. It seems like there's a bit of a personal thing between Southgate and and Shelby because didn't he didn't he not pick him for the under twenty ones uh, a few years ago? Um, I don't know if he I don't know if he ever managed him in the under twenty ones. I don't know if it was Pierce or. I, I know from Ray Parler's partner on the radio that Southgate holds ridiculous grudges. Yeah. Like, you call, I think Parler called him Big Nose or something, and you literally sacked him from this. Like, <laughs> you never, you never <laughs> <for> <laughs> um, but if he wants, if he wants players, you aren't going to have a bit of attitude with him. He, he's probably going to go stay here. But yeah, but yeah, like, and you're right. But then does Shelby is Shelby's attitude now representative of what he was like at 20 years old? But I we'll have to say we'll have to be wrong. So loads of brilliant. Well, we're, we're not. So. Listener questions to get through, but um, obviously the squad isn't announced till tomorrow. Is that right? Three o'clock tomorrow. Wednesday, yeah. yeah um, so all of that we've just said will have to cut if Shelby <laughs> does make the team. So this is the part where um, he has made the squad. So fair play, Gareth. We're always back to you. We knew you knew you'd do the right thing, and I'm looking forward to Shelby playing the World Cup. It's an absolute disgrace he's picked Shelby. Like <laughs> when, when he needs time off, he needs rest. I wasn't expecting to see Dwight Gale, but I bag it. Um, Right, listener questions. Uh, thanks so much to everybody who tweeted us at TF Weekly Plod, Plod, Pod. Please, <laughs> please, it's been a long show. We're fucking one hour thirty-four minutes in here, lads. Um, please give us a follow on Twitter, like the Facebook page uh, at the same name if you can. Um, here we go, lads. Uh, which player from this is from David McGiven? Which player, which players have the potential to develop further under Rafa, Hayden, or Marino? Which one do you see staying here? and becoming a Premier League player on the well, that's, that's two totally different questions. In terms of potential, Marino all the way, but which which ones will be here to play? Hayden's probably more likely than Marino that looking at the looking at the situation in the last few games. Do you think well Adam is, is Hayden a Premier League player? Um I think he is still raw. Um I think he can be a Premier League player. Um but he will we will you know we've seen how how Rafa can turn players' fortunes around and, and I think he is in the best place to achieve whatever potential he may have. So I absolutely think, I think he's got a lot more to give, but being around a lot of very good midfielders, I think he'll go far. I mean, his cameo on the right wing on Sunday was absolutely <laughs> fucking class. Yeah. It changed the game as soon as he came on. Hayden, right wing, Hadara. <laughs> it's the future. Um, quite funny. I don't know if, he's, if you've watched the um, half-hour highlights. They're on demand for anyone who's got Sky if you want to watch the full 30 minutes highlights from uh, from Sunday's game. But at the end of the game, like Hayden literally sprints across the pitch to shake Conte's hands. Just like just like a bit of a fan. Conte's class isn't probably an idol if Hayden played the same position. Um, and also, just let's, let's just say well done, Isaac Hayden, for being a a thoroughly lovely bloke and human being and representing the club in the best possible way uh, with various charities and the, the food bank and stuff like that. So it's a pleasure to have him at the club. Um, we'll move on to the next question uh, when I can bring up Twitter back up. Um, this is a this is one from Sean Casey. He's just saying, you're not big f- you're not big fans of Mitrovic, but if he dumps Villa out of the playoffs, you'll have to dedicate the podcast to him. I'll go further than that. If Mitrovic scores the winning goal at Wembley, to keep Aston Villa out of the Premier League, I'll say rename the Gallagher after him. Like, it was such a big achievement. Uh, David McGiven again, lads. Ben, I'll start with you. Shittest away fans at St. James's Park. Oh, that's very tough because we literally can't see them. So all of them. <laughs> all um, of them. I don't hear any of them from where we are. I mean, I wouldn't do anyway. I'd say you hear the good ones where we are. Like I, I've not heard an away fan all season from Blockley. Uh, like, you can't see them, I you can't hear them. In, I think we're in a bad position uh, to judge on this, so sorry, but... Uh, I, I, I can't all of them Adam, then. Adam you, you've got to see the away fans um, I, I, 
I honestly can't think. Whoever brought the least. <laughs> great, great question. Well, okay, I'll answer it. Maybe Everton fans, because I, I, I remember not hearing a, a peep out of them until uh, we, Dollar dropped that clanger. So they only they, it was literally sing when you're winning. They were they were non-existent up until that point. Everton fans, there you go. That doesn't surprise us. And obviously we were at the the away game, um, and they were equally just rubbish. Um, just didn't even even when they scored and they were winning, like they they, they just didn't care, and they're just they're they're a weird fan base. Spent 180 million, still not happy. Um, I th- oh sorry, the, who are you, Allardyce? Is all the fans' fault? Bloody. <laughs> The other question from today was shittest home fans that we saw as an away fan. I, I went to more away games than audio, so I'll take it first. I thought Spurs were really poor in midweek because, like, you get Spurs against Leicester, there was like 78,000 there. It's just because it was a midweek, and I know there's a lot of tourists there, and there's the lad with the popcorn and all that. Is this your Monday night midweek? Or, uh... It was Wednesday, like, yeah, like, um, and essentially, there was just loads of empty seats and there was loads of Spurs fans that just sacked it off because it was like you're at Wembley, your team's quality, you know, the, the, that match was the match Spurs qualified for the Champions League and loads of fans couldn't be asked to turn up and they were, they booed their team off at half time for being Lynn at home against Newcastle and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, so, and it wasn't, it wasn't even a televised game either, so they no, haven't even got that excuse. Uh, uh, then again, the, the transport is a fucking joke around Wembley. <laughs> I wouldn't go on it. They've had to wait two hours for a tube. Uh, but, but you're such a big fan of London. Oh. I know, yeah. My spiritual home. Um, any, anything else, other lads, any away games that have stood out for you, lads? I don't know what you've been to. Well, I mean, Huddersfield at the start of the season with that ridiculous, like, fake drum coming yeah, through the speakers. Yeah. Like, just and really strange. noise coming through the speakers. Yeah. It's fucking weird. It's like an out of, like, mind experience. Like, something from, the, like, you were watching it, something from the future where... They put sound through, but even though they've got fans making noise, they still felt the need to record some fans and gimps. It's a bit weird in Huddersfield, aren't they? Uh, the American football team like, got fi- like fined. The American football team got fined for pumping stadium noise <laughs> really? through, because, and it was like basically to put off the other team when they were like trying to make their calls. So they would just pump loads of ridiculous loud like speaking noises, and uh, the league were like, "Hang on a minute!" Like one match, they were really, like, <laughs> they realized one game. They were like, "There's no one here," and yet it's like the loudest like recordings ever. It's like this you're is, gonna this do is that. Dodgy. Just get that's it. Jungle noises and that just to just to prop and throw them up. You can tell a woman at forty into the podcast. Um, this is a really good question from Ed Appleby. Biggest injustice of the season. He's given two examples. Zuma's assault on Gaylord Stoke and Kane's assault. A lot of assaults going on at, uh, on Lejeune. Lejeune. It's got to be that. It's got to be. Did you get a yellow card, Kane, for got that? A yellow card, I Got a yellow. I tweeted a photo after the game. He was actually off the floor. Two feet off the floor, scissors, red card. So he does that, yet he's really annoyed when um, people have a bit of banter about him claiming a goal and about the FA saying that he was in uh, whoever's pocket. Like, how well. Have a hurry. If you kinda if you kinda take it, mate. Dwight Gale getting just scythed down by Chris Smalling oh in God. the box and nothing happening. Not even a free kick. Nothing happening. Just Not even a free kick. Didn't we get um kicks in the head away to Huddersfield? And Huddersfield and the man you played did it, someone did the Moor. Was it Valencia did it at the Moor the Army as well? Straight in the heat. No. Uh, Mag- Harry Maguire pushing um Gale. Dwight Gale in the mouth. And then John Joe getting sent off. For standing on Deli Ali's little finger, like how are FA? No, you're just these on. refs, man. These refs. Uh, that was a really, really good question there. Um, and there's a lot of questions here about kind of players you'd sell. Who do we need to buy? Uh, we'll go to most improved player. I think we're all in green on Diarmé there. Mo 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 Diarmé. 
Um, this is a good one from Phil Will Kill. <laughs> Phil Will Kill. Um, if you were to pick players from the teams who finished below us, who would you take and why? Do you all want to have a, a think about one player? Can you think of a player off the top of your head who you'd take from the relegated sides? The, the one that's obvious is Zaha, but he'll, he'll go higher He's than not relegated, though. Hmm? He said teams below us. Oh, sorry, he finished below us. Yes, he has. I'm wrong with that. Aye, Zaha, but he's not. Gonna, yes, he's not going to sign for Newcastle, is he? Or Newcastle aren't going to pay the money. What about you know the relegated sides are more realistic though. Is there anyone from I'd, those teams? I know there's been daft rumours, but I, I would take Joe Allen. Yeah, I think he's still in his prime years, Who's and I think he's a solid centre midfield performer. I think I think he got a place on the bench at Newcastle. No problem. <laughs> Obviously, Jordan Shakiri is supposed to have a fourteen million pound buyout clause, and I think he's a brilliant, brilliant footballer. He is a good player, but I, I don't. I just don't think he would fit in with this this style. Of t- you, you could say it didn't quite work at Stoke. Oh, Stoke fans love did. him, love him. But it, no, it's not the fans. Though. I mean, in terms of the play, like he, he wasn't a player that was sort of going to knuckle down. I don't think he would fit in with our with the sort of the the group that we've got here. Um, I, I, you wouldn't want to rock the boat with like a diva like that who's going to. Ryan Bertrand's going, Ben. <laughs> lost, for, lost for words so much does Ben hate Ryan Bertrand I'd probably take uh, below us I'd, I'd take like Charlton he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's, yeah no it's not going to happen but he's, he's got, maybe that that Bauer that right back for Stoke he really impressed me he's a kind of back up to Yedlin we, we could do with a bit of uh, I expect a, a, um, an exodus of full backs this yeah. summer so yeah I wouldn't mind Shawcross from Stoke as well oh he's past it Shawcross you reckon um, as a number Morrison. three Morrison Morrison yeah, yeah get Alfie Morrison in He's a like for like with Lascelles, but just yeah. that little could, bit worse. I was going to say he could be the backup for 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 Lascelles next season. I think he'd be solid. Okay, we've got um, Phil will kill. Always, oh, sorry, asks. sorry, quickly, Rondon. Would you take him? I think. He's quite a good player. He's, got, he's been Dwight, in a shit side for ages. Dwight Gale, who's all round game, I believe, is excellent, but can't finish. And we're going to be replacing him for Rondon, who's all round game, is pretty good, but can't finish. Like we need, we need a finisher. Yeah, if we, we if we improve, well, Dwight Gale could probably get to about nine goals, and that's about Rondon's level, isn't it? Nine goals, ah, ten goals. Rondon's better than Gale. Come on, no, 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 not having this. Right. This is a big one, this lads. This is the True Faith podcast question that we used to go on for fucking ages before the lads stopped playing for Newcastle United. Alexander Mitrovic, stick or twist? Adam first, because he's probably hasn't been. Oh, in do this I have position. to talk about Mitrovic? We'll just give one word answer. Fuck off. Of <laughs> I'm a big fan of him as a footballer. I think he gets a hard rep from fans who um, just think he's all about the passion and the chest beating and the gun and mental. What, these but two here? It is his goal contribution. However, I understand that he's never going to fit in a Rafa system and I'd like to see him be happy somewhere else. Um, <laughs> starting games and being the main guy. Like if, if, he, if he stays with Fulham, I think he's absolutely loving it down there. And I, I think we need, we'd, I'd rather spend that money on someone who is going to fit into Rafa's plans because that's just more valuable for us. It sounds like your breakup speech to him. Like, look, Mitro, <laughs> I just want the best for you. It's, it's not you, it's me. All I the cliches. Love you the way I couldn't. It's all the cliches. So uh, you, you give a two-word answer, which was "fuck off." I'm going to give you a three-word answer. Get him sold. I I, I think there's still a, a a potential opportunity there. He's he, he could be a good player. Yes, twenty-five million pounds in any Castle's bank account. That's the opportunity. Now I think he's he's started scoring goals at Take Fulham. Five. Started scoring goals at Fulham. He's a different type of player, and you can't deny he's had impacts when he's come. Um, he's come, come on. I, 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 I think can deny that. To, oh, there's, loads, there's loads. 
Norwich, Norwich last season, we don't win that game without Mitro. I All think, three. I think my issue with it, I think um, a lot of people thought Murphy was amazing last season and Mitro was like awful. But actually, I did I, I did a massive rundown on the stats and they had identical seasons. So he's not as bad as people but, think but if then, they think Murphy's kind of... But then at Brighton away, Rafa trusted Murphy to come on the pitch and left Mitrovic at home. And it's like, the stats don't tell us full story. I understand yeah, what you're no, saying. Of course, yeah. yeah, of course. And, so, he, and he will not, he definitely will not train as hard we're as We're kind of else. split here. There's me and Sai who would definitely sell and then there's... Adam and Ben, who still rate him, and you know. Well, no, I'd, I'd, I think he's a good footballer, and he will thrive elsewhere. But I would still sell him. How much? I mean, there's a few questions. I'm going to have to group. So sorry, I don't give everyone a shout out here who's asked the questions, but there's so many questions about signings that I can't get through them all. Um, basically, what areas of the pitch do we need to sign? We'll go through that, lads. Give me a position that you want to see strengthened for next season more than any other position and why. Go on then. Well, Sai's got the mic, Ben, so I'll let him go first. Um, my, my biggest worry at the minute, uh, strikers with, without doubt, but my biggest worry at the minute is centre midfield. Um, if Diame or Shelby get injured, we've got an out. And always, Shelby, uh, does Diame turn 30 this year? Or we've really got to look at another centre midfielder. And just, just right, for I, think that. He's 30, I think he's 31. He's, he's got at least 10 years left in him, though. He's a young 30-year-old. He's basically 30s the new 20, isn't it, they say these days. Um, I'd go right back. I've said it a few times. I just don't trust Yedlin. I think he's the weak link in this team. I think he's got a lot of lot of good attributes. His pace is obviously the big one, but he, he he's disappointed us with his um, his final third contribution, which is basically what he's in the team because he is a bit of a liability at the back. Um, he, he I just feel like his pace as well sometimes counts against him in terms of. He, he makes very rash decisions and jumps in and commits himself, overcommits himself, thinking oh, I'll be able to recover with my pace. And it just, but it means he like overruns balls and there's too many crosses coming into the box from his side. And I think that's harsh. I think I think he's been excellent last. I think he's been really good this season, Yedlin. I think he's proven he's a Premier League player. Fair enough, uh, Adam. Striker, striker, striker. I would honestly sell Mitrovic, Hosselu, and Gale, and buy two. Absolutely banging centre forwards with Rondon. <laughs> maybe Rondon, but ultimately, um, you know, we, we looked at there was that we linked with that like Jorgensen guy from um, playing in Holland. We linked with sort of uh, William Jose from from Spain. There's but there's a few. I can imagine that Rafa is going to look at the Spanish market for you know particularly for like release clauses, things like that. Look, you look for loans, but I think two. Absolutely banging centre forwards will be better than the th- than the three that we currently have on the roster. That Sandro might be going as well. The guy of it and bought who's gone out on loan. We were linked with him weren't we, at the start of the year. Well, Rafa said Rafael he wanted him, but yeah. it was the wages that put him off. But maybe his form since his move to Everton might well he's, he's might accept play, a drop in they've, those. They've pied him off. He's been playing in Spain and I just I'm just going to say left midfield because I want I want to sign Kennedy. Uh, there's a question there. Do you think he'll sign? Uh, no, I think Adam, you called it rightly, saying we might get him on loan. For another year, I don't know. If did you say that? No, did you not say that? So someone said that earlier. It might be normal. I totally agree with you, Adam. If you did say that, though, yeah. good, good point. Oh yeah, yeah, it was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No um, worries. Yeah, I just want to say we're signing Kennedy. I think he's fucking brilliant, um, and he he lifts the squad with his ability and players are willing to give him the ball in almost impossible situations because they know he's going to keep the ball. And he's been in a big club before where he's been on the sidelines. He's come to Newcastle and he's been like one of the main men, and he's got the adulation like. What's is he is he really going to go to another big team like a Bayern or a Tottenham or whoever and sit on the bench again, or does he want to develop under one of the best managers in the world? 
in front of 52,000 fans who absolutely adore him. There's something to be said for having South Americans in the squad as well. Like a, a Brazilian, absolutely just... <laughs> the idea, the principle. We're getting through these quite quickly now. Sam Norrie asks, best individual performance by any Castle player this season? That's quite hard to narrow down. I mean, pick any one of 20 performances from Moby Army for a start. Um, yeah, I mean... Saive, West Ham. Stats don't lie. But you see, how good would his stats be, Adam, if he hadn't given them a goal? <laughs> no, exactly, yeah. I think, um, go on, I'll just put one out there. Kennedy against Southampton. I think he was absolutely excellent. Um, a big part of why we went on to steamroll them in the end. Yeah, I think um, Jamal Lascelles against Man United as well. I know Diame was brilliant, but Lascelles against Man United when we were really under pressure, just cleared. When they when Man United started to go long, which they did, and put Chris Small up front, Lascelles just won everything. I suppose you could go to Dubravka as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Dubravka as well in that. I think I've already said that on the previous... Yeah, Dubravka against Chelsea as well. Those saves yesterday were just, well, whenever it was, two days ago, were absolutely unbelievable. Sorry. Honourable mention for, because we've talked about it all season, Lejeune's first 20 minutes <laughs> against Spurs in the first game of the season. What, 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 a, what a 20 that was. What a 20. Um, I, um, yeah, well, before you came, sorry, we talked about that. Um, so, Lance, I've got someone asking, uh, when Rafa says he wants to compete, what does he mean by that? And that was D. White. What does Rafa want next season? He wants for come May, we're, we're still in the shout of a European spot or we're in a cup final. That's what he wants. He wants to win a, win a trophy. He's not saying he wants to be you know challenged for the title straight away. He's I don't even think he wants to. He does want to. I think he'd be happy with trying to win yeah, a trophy. Yeah. Like not getting a fucking phone call from Mike Ashley like he did against fucking uh, Blackburn when he rested Dwight Gill against Blackburn and we got beat to rest him for the semi, the quarter against Hull. Like, he doesn't want that. He wants to be able to, like, even if we got knocked out in the cup away from home at Old Trafford, like, if shit happens, he can't win, get to a cup final every year. But he wants to be able to to dream. Yeah, he doesn't want to spend February, March, April, May playing games that don't really mean anything. He wants to still be in the running for, for something, for something to, to take home. Absolutely. He wants to pull away from the pack that we're kind of level on, you know, just ahead on goal difference with. And he wants to be up there where, where Everton are, where Burnley are. And, you know, finding a real opportunity to to breach that top six with, you know, there's there's so much flux and, and you know, Arsenal, are they going to get the right man in? Are they going to suffer like Man United did when Sir Alex went? There could be a massive opportunity there. Um, if Pochettino was to leave Tottenham, I mean, there's there, was, there seems to be a huge load, of, a whole load of internal politics there. There's, there's, there's there are opportunities um, to get up there. And if Burnley can do it, bloody hell, we can and we should be there. Leicester did it this, this, uh, with, with a team that just, well, manager who is basically got sacked a year ago, like not even fit to clean the boot to Rafa Benitez. He's that much better than um Obviously, they had some good players, but you just think with the work Rafa put in, he, we, we could do that. And you're right, you've all made good points. I think it's it's one that he's always said as well. He he wants to be competing with what he believes are his contemporaries, is the the Mourinho's, the the Guardiola's, Klopp's. Like that, he should he belongs at that table with those. And it, it was one of the um, things we were discussing before about the quality of the Premier League. You look at the quality of the managers. I mean, there's been some absolute bang average managers in uh, managing this year. Do you think of Pellegrino, um, Hughes, Pardew? Um, Lambert getting like gigs and just he, he, he's so far above all of them um, 
that I think just being given the resources to just pr- to just improve the squad a little bit, um, you'll get a hell of a lot of value out of it. And as as you say, it's just to be sort of <laughs> just proving how much better he is in all of them. I think that's that's what he's looking for. We've been asked by Rob if Rafa leaves, who do you want to come in and replace him, and who would actually replace him, Rob? And I think that's a good question. But I'm just not even going to think about it. Like okay. I've I've never given that any thought because the whole world changes when that happens. So I'll, I'll go back to the very very first podcast we ever did when we talked about if Padre lost his job, who would actually replace him with? And I said Owen Coyle. So I stand by that. Someone shite like that. I'll give an answer. Um, Claude Puel. He's he's he just canny, and everyone seems to hate him finishing in eighth. I'd l- so if he could do that for us, if Rafa was to ever go, uh, God forbid. But uh, yeah, Puel. And lads were asked by uh, Natural Dog, would any of us considering chucking our season tickets if it all went wrong this summer? It's a no from me for now. It's a no from me. What cut? What goes wrong though? Like, is it Rafa leaves? I mean, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be entertainment at the very least, whether you'd hate it or not. I don't think I would, but I'd. Uh, it would make going to the game very, very difficult. I think. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't give it a ticket. I know I did it under Carver, very, very momentarily. St- stopped me direct debit, and then Dines straight, out straight back in on uh, McLaren. Um, and, o- <laughs> and also Carver's last game against West Ham. You were there. Oh, no, I was still there. I just I wasn't paying for it oh, at yeah, the time. You cancelled your direct debit, yeah. but still went in the matches. Um, <laughs> I showed them. <laughs> I think I think we'd have to we'd have to see what happens and see see how how much of a cliff we fall off if, if Rafa went. Um, I'd be willing to take part in any in any protest or kind of movement against Mike Ashley if, if the if the inevitable happened. But it wouldn't mean as giving up my gun in the match necessarily. I think we're going to have to call it a day, lads. Um, one hour fifty five of the two thousand seventeen eighteen season review. Uh, this is always a mega long podcast, but I hope if you've managed to. St- stick it through fair play to you um it's been a i think it's been a good season lads we'll finish we'll finish off in this one i think it's been a good season i think targets met i think rafa has proved himself a hundred times over and we are very very lucky to have that man at our football club and as as george colton told us about two weeks ago in this very room we should just enjoy it while it lasts and embrace it however long it is to last and uh Supporting Newcastle United this season, it's been it's been easy to do. It hasn't always been like that. I've never walked into any games, even during the bad run, not wanting to go to the match or considering thinking we're going to get beat or thinking we wouldn't see a committed performance from the lads. So it's been a thoroughly enjoyable season. I hope it's been an enjoyable season to listen to. You lads, your thoughts on the season? Is it good, bad, indifferent? All you want from a from a Premier League season where you know well, just been promoted. All we wanted was was some some entertainment and and a team that competed well in the league and we finished tenth. But we've also had some fucking brilliant days. We've had Man U, we've had Chelsea, we've had Arsenal, we've had Leicester away, which was fucking brilliant. We've had both West Ham games, both Southampton games. Like we've had some really 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 good performances in there. And yes, there's been some some bad times. Six or seven defeats in a row, was it? Seven. Eight or nine. Some yeah. some are bad like that. But at, at no point during that did you think Rafa won't turn this round. You just thought. We're going to go through a bad patch. He said we'll go through bad patches. And overall, the season's been very enjoyable, as you say. Final whistle, glasses, pocket. <laughs> yeah, just completely echo everything you've said there. I think it's just nice to, to see a, a team that you you, you you can rely on. And you you, you said it before, there's, there's no games where you, you feel like you're wasting your, your Saturday going towards you. You never know what's going to happen. And for, for every... Burnley at home or Everton at home or whatever we've, we've had a Man U and an Arsenal and, and that's what keeps us going and 
you, you can't beat those days and I'd, I'd take 20 Everton's for, for one man you so keep them coming Rafa this has been the True Faith Podcast. Uh, we'll have a few more free podcasts for you in the next few weeks. We've got Matty Ray's back coming up. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking to him last season. It'd be great to get his view. Steve Wraith's going to come on, and obviously Steve has you know something of a relationship with Amanda Staveley. We're going to talk to him about that and all things Newcastle United. What are you alluding to there? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. well, don't worry. We'll ask him all about that when he comes on. Oh, that was a bad turn of phrase. Um, we're going to release Rory Smith. Spoke to Norman Rory Smith, works for the New York Times and wrote a book with Rafa. We've got him coming up for, for everybody. We've got Ryan Taylor interviewed as well. So it's going to be three or four more free podcasts before there's the season break. But like I said earlier on, uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe on Patreon. It's just more of this crack, basically, but more regularly and on a variety of subjects, but particularly Newcastle United. And uh, thank you for being with us throughout the, the season. We'll um, see you in this capacity back uh, for August. What is it now? May, mid-May, August. I... Yeah, but patrons only. But uh, <laughs> cheers, Ben. Oh, well, there's a selling, selling, selling technique yeah. there. Uh, thanks for keeping it with the True Faith podcast, and we'll speak to you next season. Bye-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.